and we are live. Chris Moeller, how's it going, man? Oh, it's going well. How you doing? I'm doing good now that we're we're here. We got the technical difficulties out of the way and ready to have a conversation here. Um, first of all, thank you for being on here. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I've always been a fan. Thank you. Yeah, I uh, I definitely pride myself on telling people about when you came up to me at Swamp Fest. <laughs> it's like my favorite thing to talk about. Yeah, well, I, you know, there's not a lot of uh, BMX media these days, and I always felt like you would cover topics. So sometimes when something would happen, you were the first person to actually report on it in a in a real professional way. And I always wondered why more people weren't doing that. And th that's kind of how I became a fan. Well, I appreciate it. It's, uh, for me, it's all just the love of doing it and talking about it, informing people and like revolving my life around BMX as much as humanly possible. Yeah, wow, I feel that. Yeah, well, you probably more than most people can. Um, and it's funny the timing on this because the Our BMX Unclicked 2.0 with you came out on Tuesday. And I thought a great place to start our conversation today might be in that if there's anything that has come up or you thought about since doing that, that you're like, oh, we should have talked about that or, oh, response to this or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I went back and watched that thing, which I never intend to do, but I've only done a few things like that over the years and uh, I, I end up going back and either watching little pieces of them or watching the whole thing. In this case, I, I watched little pieces and then realized I'll just watch the whole thing. There's a lot of topics we get into, we got into on that. And even the first one I did with those guys, um, it's unfortunate that they don't really get fully developed. I feel like sometimes I've got something in my head, they've got something they're thinking about and we just can't necessarily get on the same wavelength. So sometimes mm -hmm. we'll get into a really good topic, but I don't feel like it gets fully developed and sometimes it kind of comes off wrong or I, I'm not really listening to them or they may not really be listening to me that closely. We're, we're kind of just having our own conversations and that's the one big takeaway for me. I, I always think those things are awful when I'm done doing them and then, I don't know, people seem to like them so. That's good, but I, I, I'm always a pretty big critic of them, to be honest. Yeah, well, I mean, that's how you get better at things. Uh, and I could see where that comes from. And just like, you know, having three people there, you've got three different thought processes. And when one subject comes up, it brings up something else. And then maybe one person's not done with their thought yet. And another thing happens and it just goes on this crazy, windy road of conversation. That's exactly what happens. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's understandable, but uh, was there anything, like, specific, like, subject-wise that that was, do you feel like you want to talk more about since then? Well, for me, a lot of it was uh, business-related, just because the BMX industry is really tough right now, I, I feel like. For, for most brands, it's, it's tough at the bike shop level. Um, so that was a lot of what was on, on my mind. And, you know, it was interesting. It kind of led into that Trek store thing. And mm -hmm. and out of everything that we talked about, that's actually what I've gotten the most comments about. Um, 
from the list from from the viewers is people talking about their local bike shop turning into a trek shop and you know now they don't have a bmx shop you know within 50 miles of their house yeah that's that's wild i've definitely heard about trek doing that i didn't realize it was it was so widespread yeah, I think it is. Um, I hear about it from our sales reps at S&M and Fit, and they always ask me to try and do something about it. I haven't. Um, but, you know, I guess at one point Trek had Miraco. That was their BMX brand. And, uh, geez, even back in uh, the 90s, they had their own BMX bikes. Remember Stricker rode for Trek? Yeah, I remember hearing Trek as a BMX brand. Yeah, I mean, Stricker got on the cover of Dig when he was riding for Trek. Uh I think they did Gary Fisher BMX bikes that one might have also been Trek but so anyway what we never got into on the hour thing was the bicycle industry as a whole seems like it's almost trying to get rid of BMX you think so I mean that's the feeling I get with companies like Trek not even having BMX bikes yeah that's odd um, you know you got this big push on the the, the uh the little electric bikes, the Stasics. Oh yeah, I've it's, seen those. It's starting on the Stasics. You've got the electric kind of dirt bike looking mountain bike things. The guys are showing up at the trails on. I've seen that drama, yeah. And then you've got, you know, more and more of this kind of uh, suspension type, even the fingers crossed style bike, mm-hmm. which is more or less a dirt jump mountain bike and. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't want to be a conspiracy uh, theorist, but it feels like maybe the BMX part of the industry is sort of on its own little island and isn't really part of the bigger cycling picture. I, I mean, it kind of makes sense. And, and if you think about it from the outside perspective, like a BMX bike, when you look at it as a non-BMX rider, looks like a kid's bike that you wouldn't necessarily think an adult is going to be riding. Right. So it yeah, makes I sense. Mean, I'm in a small town here. I've got that spot up and running that you saw in the mm-hmm. All the Radical Vacation video. There's not one person in this whole town that rides a BMX bike on those jumps, except me. Really? So it's all DJs and like, but there's suspension. a few kids. Yeah, there's kids on DJs. There's older guys on more enduro style full suspension bikes that want to come down and ride the the pump portion of it. Um, but yeah, there's not one person in this town that can ride those jumps on a BMX bike. There's a few kids in town that ride the skate park on complete BMX bikes, but hmm. they're not taking it. You know to the next level and hitting the jump. So it's, it, it's, it's odd. And then the kids that do have BMX bikes here, the bikes are just falling apart. Um, yeah. I don't know how to fix them. There's a lot of just situations I think going on with BMX right now that are a little disturbing to me. Well, it's interesting to think about too, in the dirt jumping side of things, because there's a bike that is literally named for dirt jumping. It's a dirt jumper. So maybe it's, the same thing of perception of people see dirt jumps and they're like, Oh, this is the dirt jumper where you take that bike, not a BMX bike. Right. I mean, it's a BMX bike should be called a dirt jumper. Yeah. I mean, it's everything. 
race, park, vert, flatland, like you do it all on that. Right. But it is weird that that bike is called a, you know, it's a 26 inch wheel. I mean, yeah, I don't know if I'd call that a, a dirt jumper necessarily. I mean, I would rather ride a 20 inch bike at the trails than a 26 inch bike. I'd get on the 26 inch bike and your butt hits the tire when you try and tuck. Yeah. Uh, you've got that kind of funky suspension feel every time you're coming up the, the lip. I've ridden those bikes and I've, I prefer riding a 20 inch bike at trails for sure. Yeah. I mean, I've ridden dirt jumpers at our trails too. And there, there's no doubt that they are easier to get through jumps on, Yeah, which probably lends to it at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it, you're right. They are easier to get over the jumps, but I just, I like the feel of 20 inch bike a lot better, but you know, again, I feel like, uh, there's just a lot of things pointing towards getting younger and younger riders on bigger bikes and just either uh, starting them small on uh, some kind of a, you know, like a the Stasic bike and then moving them onto a dirt bike or starting them on the Stasic and then just moving them right into like a, a 26 inch dirt jumper. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of uh, industry support. I don't feel like for BMX, all the brands are small, you know, they're, they're like S and M and fit and kink. And, uh, you know, these are tiny, tiny companies. Yeah. Uh, even Haro at this point, I mean, it's kind of small. Yeah. And BMX is a very small portion of what GT does. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Trek doesn't have bikes. Specialized doesn't have bikes. I mean, I guess what it tells me is either, the numbers aren't there sales wise for these big companies to get involved with it, or they'd just rather get rid of it. Yeah. Well, somebody in the chat did bring up a good point here. I don't know if this is true or not. But he said, uh, as my buddy, Kurt Rowell, he lives out in Washington. Uh, he said, but didn't everyone want those large companies to stop making BMX and have the rider owned companies only among BMX stuff? <laughs> yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a great point. Like I think, I think BMX just likes to basically kill itself. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that's just, maybe that's what we're doing. I, yeah, I don't know. Um, but anyway, as far as like things we talked about on hour that I didn't feel like got fully developed, I, I've kind of felt like it, that whole concept didn't really get fully developed. It kind of turned into talking about bike shops carrying weird brands but the more i thought about it after i was on there and the more i heard from other people a bigger part of the problem seems to be brands that just sell direct go right or go completely around the bike shop and you know there's there's quite a few of those brands or even some of the mail order uh companies having their own brands and then just pushing those bikes so it's just it's it's just a free-for-all yeah yeah, I mean, at a certain point in that, I think I remember Fudger asking the question of, like, at what point does everybody just go around the bike shop? Yeah. Or something along those lines. I'm not trying to quote right. him out of context, but there was something like that. And it's a question that that's going to be asked as costs rise. Right. You know, and, and that maybe that would work if riders knew how to work on their bikes. But that's another right. thing that I think is a huge topic these days is that these guys just cannot work on their bikes. 
Yeah, and uh, I've, I've had this conversation before too about like if bike shops went away completely tomorrow, I think bike shops would end up existing again in six months for all of the people who can't and don't want to or won't work on their bike. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Uh, you know, someone was just pointing out to me the other day, if you look on, uh, you know, OfferUp or Facebook Marketplace, you'll see a lot of bikes on there that are being sold fairly cheaply because the wheel is broken. You know, that's what it says, the wheel is broken. Mm -hmm. It's just a flat tire. Yeah. Yeah, and after watching that live stream, you guys talked about Elite a lot, but Framed is another brand that is similar but that's a retail that's one particular retailer having their own brand but you're right that's the kind of thing i completely spaced on until after i was done you know over there well the thing i was going to bring up with that and it was ads on facebook if i hopefully i could get one to show up here real quick but it was something along the lines of like bmx made cheaper or like less expensive right bmx or something along those lines and it was just reading that and then you see people you have no idea they don't have riders all of that stuff and it just it kind of blew my mind to see that that even exists yeah. but people are commenting on it saying oh i'm going to buy my second or third framed i've had two of them so far and they're great and these like moms commenting on there saying how happy they are about it and it just i i didn't understand it is there like a miscommunication or disconnect between normal people and bmx bikes that they're buying for their kids yeah that's a great it's a great point um and that's where i think again like my what my take on all that was got a little misconstrued too or i just didn't do a, a very good job of expressing it clearly but uh you've got brands out there that are promoting the whole sport of bmx the whole the whole lifestyle mm -hmm. you know like like the colorado video we yep. got a spot, we got people there we're camping we're having a party it's not a money-making venture it's just a, it's just a lifestyle thing yep i mean a lot of brands doing that kind of stuff events like you know swamp fest or texas toast back in the day those kinds of events and then you've got these other people that just kind of pop in there with a bike that's cheaper and pretty pretty good I mean good enough you know and it's cheaper and that's kind of what that's my point like I'm not trying to say that I don't enjoy sponsoring riders or anything like that or I'm trying to get rid of it all I'm trying to say is as a brand we're competing with other people that more or less just pop in and poach sales that are created by brands that are putting a lot of heart and soul into things like this you know podcast um, and that's what kind of gets on my nerves. Yeah, it's a totally understandable perspective. And I think that it's it's the the perfect example of how people get mad about, they say larger companies are coming in and trying to make money using BMX. I'm like, don't get mad at those people because they're creating opportunity for riders by doing that. Get mad at the people who are coming in having nothing to do with riders selling BMX bikes cheaper than other companies because they don't have this overhead and they're selling directly to to people and and that's like the exact thing people should be mad about yeah well and that's what that's just kind of what has been under my skin lately is that i realize there's a backup of bikes in bike shops and uh 
and that's understandable because business just has its ups and downs. But what bugs me is that a lot of the bikes that are in there are these off-branded bikes from companies that don't support the sport. And then the shop can't purchase from its regular supplier, whether, it, you know, whether it's Sabrosa or, uh, you know, Fit, something like that. They can't buy those bikes because they need to get rid of all these bikes that they bought first yeah and then you know like you, you bring up the frame thing you know whenever a retailer has their own brand you always have to wonder if they're kind of using the other brands to make the customer hit them up and then regardless of what inventory they have from the other brands that the guys are asking for they surely have B they have bmx bikes mm -hmm. take a look at this one yeah, what's the exact story you brought up of the the shop guy saying, "Well, BMX bikes don't sell, but I only have one BMX bike on the floor." Like, yeah. obviously, yeah, it's, and I don't know, like, how, how do we fix that? I think it's a yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we can if we can fix it or if we um, we probably just need to stop contributing to the problem because, in my opinion, the the problem there is when things are booming and these 20 inch bikes like take a fit bike is flying off the shelves every shop in the world's hitting us up and wants to get them in their store and then the bigger stores that are kind of like these corporate stores they they take you know 30 pieces 50 pieces and they become sort of the big dealer in the area you might have a core shop a few miles away but you don't open up the core shop because the big shops doing the dollars and they have the territory but then when things start to flip and the gravy train is over and you actually have to sell the bike. It doesn't mm -hmm. just sell itself as, as easily. Now you really want to be back in the core shop um, because they're the ones that are supporting the, the sport yeah. and the whole lifestyle. So and we, I think we just all need to do a better job of kind of vetting who it is that we're dealing with and not just taking these, you know, big orders when the, when things are, are hot and that that's kind of the problem. Um, in, in my mind, I mean, that's something I can do to, to kind of help out is to deal more exclusively with shops that know what's going on and that actually know how to fix these bikes, work on these bikes, give, give kids advice and support events and, and do things that are, you know, more grassroots rather than just going for the, the big numbers when uh, some chain store wants to buy 30 bikes. Cause then when things go bad, the guy doesn't want to build up the bike, you know? And then you think, well, why did I even sell to this guy? Well, you sold to him cause he wanted to buy 30 bikes. Yeah. Do you think also maybe bringing back some of the, the shop stop type stuff to where you connect the people in the shop with the culture and the riders and the team managers and stuff. I think COVID kind of killed a little bit of that. And yeah, no, I think that that's awesome. That's kind of what, you know, that's what we're doing this weekend on the third when the um, Built Different S&M video comes out. We're trying to get that that link to as many shops as we can and then have them have their own little local premieres. And, you know, we're not getting a lot because we kind of threw this on them at the last minute. But, you know, you've got shops like Powers that are always going to jump on stuff like this. Yeah. You know, and he's going to have a, a premiere. Maybe 20, 30 kids are going to show up. And he's got a big screen and they're going to watch, you know, the S the new S&M full length. Yep. That's what, that's what we need to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know if, 
if getting people physically out to travel to these shops and make it known that they're going to be there so that the people who are local to that go to the shop where maybe they didn't go to it before because oh, I'll just buy it online or, oh, they don't want to build up the BMX bike because they don't care. Maybe, maybe it gives everyone a reason to care a little bit more. Yeah. No, I love those in-shop events like that. You know, I think we, you know, all, all the brands could be doing more of those. And I know, you know, we're all kind of trying to do that as much as possible, mm-hmm. have little jams and, you know, uh, things at the wheel mill, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, those are great events. You, did you ever go to the dealer night we used to have at Ray's? Uh, I went to the one that blackout distribution would always have They call it like kink night or whatever. I, I think we might've done it before they did it. And then they kind of, they kind of, kind of got in on our our party on that one yeah i mean i went to that the kink thing i don't remember it must have been before i was really paying attention that that you guys were doing those but those are amazing so many people show up and everybody's stoked to go and ride with the the pros and people from the company oh yeah yeah we had a mike McHugh was one of our sales reps back then so this is probably 90s early 2000s something like that uh mike was from toledo Mm. and he would go to raise and he's the one that set it up because he did the midwestern territory all the shops in the midwest were his and he set up this dealer night and we would do it we did it probably three or four years in a row and it was a winter time thing shops come out we'd get pizzas you know drinks the whole thing then everybody would just ride uh for free and i went to a couple of those those were those were awesome yeah, I mean, indoor parks are far apart these days and gas is expensive, so it's understandable that it makes it yeah. harder to do those kinds of things. But for the communities where they do happen, it is a huge deal to the kids yeah. and everybody. Well, that welcome jam at Wheel Mill, that thing seems really good. Oh, it's amazing. It's such a great time. I I had to miss last year's, but I always love going to that jam. Yeah, so we support that um, as much as we can. And, you know, I think we're on the right track with stuff like that. Uh, like I said in the Hour BMX thing, I mean, this is just a tough time. And, you know, it's going to be hard for everyone to, to get through it. But, I mean, we're going to get through it. You know, there's going to be some ruffled feathers, I'm sure. And, mm-hmm. you know, hard decisions have to get made. And But, I mean, that, that that's one of those things you, you asked what I wish we would have talked about a little more at the end of that hour thing, you could tell Fudger was kind of saying that it was tough for him too. And that advertisers were his livelihood and he was hoping they wouldn't pull out. And I just kind of, I don't know, I just sort of blew him off and just kept ranting about whatever I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which was totally unrelated. It made zero sense. But looking back on it, I should have been listening to Fudger and we should have been talking about that because I know how he feels, you know, that business has been really tough since ride kind of, you know, folded. Then he started our, and he had partners and I mean, he's more or less a one man show now. Yeah. And he doesn't want to talk about the business. He wants to talk about the bar spin, but I felt like saying or later after I watched this, man, you better, learn to think about the business side of it or you're not going to be in business. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the key is like, we've got to be able to separate the business of BMX from BMX. 
Absolutely. And that luckily I've been able to do that because I've been doing this my whole life. And when I get off work and I go to ride, I just shut it off. Because if, if you don't shut off that part of it, you're going to quit riding and you're just going to be angry all the time. Yeah. And we see that. Yeah. But it's the business of BMX. It's not, it's not riding that's making you angry. It's the business of BMX that's making you angry. And then the other thing I thought about Fudger that I wish I would have thought about at the time was companies are struggling. They've got a lot of inventory. Mm -hmm. Sales are down. What sales you are making right now are discounted, you know, so it's a great time to be a rider. You can buy, you could pretty much offer, you know, make an offer. Yeah. You know, like honestly, before you called me, I was marking, I was in our software marking seats down. Yeah. So you can get a seat real cheap. You probably get everything real cheap right now. So that's good for riders. But what I wish I would have mentioned to Fudger was brands have a lot of inventory. They're what sales they are making. They're making them because things are discounted. Really something like our BMX should be a platform where companies with a ton of inventory would go and spend some money with our to get that information out. In other words, when yeah. sales are down and things are tough, you actually don't need to be cutting advertising. You need to be increasing advertising. The problem is, is that the companies aren't confident that increasing advertising is going to help with sales. Yeah. So he needs to have a better sales pitch to people like me to get me to spend more money with our BMX to help us move some merchandise. But again, like back to the point of BMX always killing itself, I mean, it's just uncool, I guess, to try and move product. Yeah, it's tough. I I really, I mean, this is something I think about constantly because I've tried to think about how, I mean, the conversation you guys had about uh, riders pay being based on what they're actually doing in videos and posts and all of those things. I think that that is something you integrate into this at the same time too, because I feel like a lot of riders who ride for companies will share something that a company posts, but they don't necessarily go out of their way to like really inform people about things. So that's kind of what I try to do with everything I'm doing is like, I'm trying to, to have that, that value there where you can, funnel people to the things that they need to see but also you know have like do it in a cool way i guess yeah no i yeah i i i came off in that hour thing kind of hard on writers but and some of that i think needs to be said but uh the whole process needs to be done differently in my if the process is done properly the writer works with the company to make a product that they actually use and believe in. Mm -hmm. At that point, they can promote it uh, honestly and authentically because they help develop it and they love it. Yep. And then it all makes sense and it feels organic. And that's how I am with S&M and Fit. I believe in everything that we're making. I love the stuff. So I'm constantly trying to promote it and I'm not ashamed to just, uh, you know, promote a ledge wax that's a candle. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's ledge wax and it's a freaking candle. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm right there with you, man. And uh, But you have to believe in it, and in order to believe in it, you have to, you know, honestly like it, and being part of developing it helps too. So 
sometimes, man, you just knock it out of the park, you know, Hoder, mm-hmm. BTM stuff, you know, Reynolds, the, the Credence stuff. I mean, sometimes you just knock it out of the park with these, with dudes because mm-hmm. you're doing it all right from the get go. Yeah. Well, and the other aspect of people, writers sharing things too, is that you notice the trend of every single thing that a company makes that a rider rides for is the best thing ever. They make the best, they make the best frames ever. They make the best pedals ever, whatever it might be. It's the best ever. And it's like, that is a very superficial way of trying to get people to buy stuff. Yeah. I mean, is that believable? I don't think so. Yeah, no, I know it. It needs to be a little bit more authentic than that, I think. But is it such a bad thing for a rider to put the companies that support them, you know, put their company name in their Instagram bio? Is that is that such a bad thing? No, I don't think so. That's but like the... people have told me that that's a bad thing. In fact, somebody told me it was jockey. That's the bare minimum. <laughs> well, but I was told that was jockey. Oh God, man. Yeah, I don't know. I just maybe I come from a different, you know, um, era. But like, if someone's helping me do what I love, which is ride my bike and travel and hang out with my friends and eat, keep a roof over my head, I'm gonna do whatever I can to right. support them. Honestly, I mean, I'm not just gonna. I'm not gonna. You know, maybe they make a a, a frame out of bamboo. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever. I'll try and ride it. I'm going to snap it. And I'm going to tell them, hey, we need to make a better frame. But even when I'm on the bamboo frame, I'm gonna the, the company name is going to be in my bio. But I am going to be working on a frame that's made out of a better material. Mm-hmm. You know? So I, I don't know. I, maybe I just come from a different era. Um, you know, the guys I came up with, I mean, we were struggling to split up $500 a month in rent. Yeah. You know, I'm in a ho- I was in a house full of BMXers. Guys like you know, Alan Foster, Brian Foster, Todd Lyons. Uh, these these were all up and coming pro riders that were struggling to make ends meet. And we'd already seen the big time pros make tons of money and spend it on, you know, Porsches and, uh, you know, $500 sunglasses and just a bunch of weird crap. And we weren't about to do it. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of people saying stuff like effort is frowned upon and put effort into the people that want to put on the effort. The rest can pay for parts or start something for themselves. It's, it's a great point. And there was something I did want to bring up to you in this conversation, I think relates perfectly to this. Uh, you talked about that whole, you know, paying riders for based on what they're doing thing. I've been talking for a long time now about the affiliate marketing side of things where maybe a rider who is on the pro team yeah they get their base level pay you know the couple hundred 500 bucks a month whatever it is and then they get uh, a a code for people who sell direct and they whatever they sell with that code they get a commission off of that each month and then even flow riders can get commission but they don't get base pay and and i've always felt like this is a way that you can actually measure what a rider is bringing in like dollars wise rather than videos and things i might have had that conversation today with somebody that's funny no you're you're so on track with that because we all have to help sell product 
to, to keep doing what we are doing, what we love doing. I mean, we don't sell content. You know, we don't get um, any kind of uh, rev share from YouTube because we use unlicensed music. Yeah. Get any kind of, uh, you know, real bonus money as a company, again, because we use unlicensed music. Um, so none of that is bringing in any money. And, you know, the only income we have, you know, we don't have finger bikes anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, DVDs don't bring in any money. The only revenue we have is selling bike parts and uh, soft goods. And soft goods don't really sell like they used to. Yeah. So it's just bike parts. And uh, I had heard that the Etni skate uh, program did a code like that years ago. And they gave it to all their riders. And at the time, I think Sheckler was their main guy. And the numbers came back. And it was just like astounding how much product Sheckler sold with that code compared to all the other, other guys. Yeah, and, and the whole concept behind that in my mind is like I, I had never thought about what you talked about with that setup of doing things, but I thought, man, if you could combine both of those and then you give riders an incentive to sell product, which is their job, you give the company a way to measure who's doing what and maybe this person's killing it, but they're on the flow team and they do well over a period of time. It's like, wow, maybe we should consider moving them up because they're really doing their job. And, yeah. and I don't know what I was going to ask you is like, is there a way other than videos to measure what a rider is doing for like S and M? It's really a tough question, you know, and, and honestly, uh, yeah, I, I look at their social media profile. I look at their followers, but a lot of a lot more of it's sort of their engagement rather than just their followers. I mean, you, you could have gotten into say Instagram early, and you could have a ton of followers. How many of them are, are fake? You know, are you even interacting with these people? Or how many of them are bike riders? Yeah, um, it's it's so it's so difficult to really tell. I think if you're out there, you know, in the world, you can kind of feel what's happening, like which riders are really moving the needle, you know, kind of like I always say, making the phone ring. But I, yeah, but again, I mean, it's even weirder than that because some riders, this isn't their motivation. Like, this is how we talk mm-hmm. because we're in this business. I'm in this business. So I talk like this, but some people just love riding their bike. Yeah. I, I can, I always think about Jordan Hango. Yeah. When these topics come up because Jordan Hango doesn't care about, the business of bike riding. He just loves bike riding. Yeah. And he is so damn good. And I know he wants to help me and he wants to help fit, but it's not really his deal. You know, he's, he does heating and air Mm -hmm. and he's married and has a kid and he rips on a bike and we're huge fans of his. And I know he wants to help us, but he's not about to start, you know, inundating Instagram with clips, right? He goes out and does shit that's better than everybody else and doesn't even film it and always has. Yeah. So and we want to get behind that. So it's not really cut and dry when it comes to either produce or lose your job. Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not that kind of writer either necessarily. I mean, I, I was trying to make some money cause I need to pay my rent and put gas in my car. Mm-hmm. But most of the stuff I did throughout the years, I never filmed. I never took photos of. It was really a lot of it was at two in the morning with me and my drunk friends. We'd go out and ride, and that's what we loved to do. We weren't really thinking about, you know, uh, were we doing our job? Right. 
but it's just, it's complicated. But for me, it doesn't matter if I'm thinking about doing my job or not. I come back to my apartment in 1990 and I've got 30 frames in my garage and I'm calling the bike shops and they're telling me BMX is dead. I mean, dead, dead. Mm-hmm. So we would, you know, fake them out and have other people call them and ask them for S&M frames and then call them and try and sell them a frame, do all those tricks we always talk about. But um, I had to sell this stuff. Like if I didn't sell it, I didn't have any money. I couldn't survive. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. I'm just, I'm on a different end of it. You know, for me, it was like part desperation all these years. So just a constant paranoia of being broke and not being able to survive. So I'm just coming at it from like a totally different angle. And I need to get my head around the fact that not all riders, some riders just love riding. They love going on trips. They love filming and they love seeing the end result, which is the, the edit, the, the video, the full length, whatever it is, but man, that shit ain't cheap. Yeah, it's it's a it's a balance. I mean, that's and like you said in the other thing, like you, you aren't necessarily thinking about the return a rider is going to bring in when you choose to hook them up, and and I think there's that balance there that's hard to find, but in a we live in a world where it almost it has to exist anymore. Well, I mean, for me, for a long time, probably since, uh, you know, the early 2000s, I don't know, 2004, we started doing fit complete bikes. I mean, the complete bikes have just sold so well worldwide. A lot of it hasn't even been in the States. It's been in Australia. It's been in Europe. It's been in Canada. Hmm. Just thousands upon thousands of bikes, you know, every quarter going to these countries. That's all done. Yeah. So we've all been running around on S&M and Fit filming, having fun, getting hotels, putting gas in the van, thanks to a bunch of bikes that have been selling in Europe and Australia and Canada. Well, those bikes don't sell anymore. Yeah. So it's just kind of like a, well, what's happened? You know, no people here maybe don't even see it, but that's kind of like, that's one big part of what's happened. So it's just a slap in the face. And, you know, maybe it's shocking for people that aren't involved in the the business end of it, but uh, there's things that go on with currency, inflation in different countries it a lot of things affect uh this kind of stuff and then it trickles down and affects us all Mm -hmm. uh, on a real sort of a level that hits close to home like oh yeah there's no money to send you on the road anymore right because that was coming from complete bikes that were selling in australia yeah and that's part of where my whole affiliate idea comes from too and just that it it's something that doesn't really exist right now. So if people kind of work towards that, it gives almost a whole new avenue of like all these people who could help the brand and help themselves at the same time, you know? Yeah. And I think it's a great idea. I, I think some people would, some riders would love it. I think some riders wouldn't be interested in it. Yeah. Which like you said, with your, your concept of, Based, being paid based on what you do is like well you don't have to do this you just aren't going to get paid for it because you're yeah. not, you just didn't do it yeah but i mean i've got a lot of friends in the in the industry and someone hit me up the other day and said hey i listened to the interview and i thought it was really interesting about trying to incentivize riders instead of just giving them you know guaranteed money and this person told me they did that to two people recently and they both said fine and neither one of them have done anything. Yeah. I mean, some people don't even submit 
you know, like like Odyssey, for instance, has a, a pretty good bonus, you know, plan for writers. And I talk to them pretty regularly about writers that don't even submit this stuff at all. It's crazy. Like they're doing it. The writers are doing it and they just don't <laughs> submit it. Yeah, it's like a culture shift that's going to end up happening because we're at a time where some of those paychecks are going to get start getting cut. Yeah, no, they are. It's it's unfortunate, you know, or I, I like the idea of giving people an opportunity, but it scares me if, like I said, I've talked to a few people recently that have done this and it hasn't worked out. In other words, the writers haven't taken advantage of the new setup. Yeah, and I think Which, it's... I mean, why that to me, that's insanity. Well, I think what it's going to take is somebody who's got a huge name doing it and making it acceptable. And then people start doing it because they realize, oh, it's I'm OK to do this. I'm it's not uncool. Yeah, I mean, do you I'm not even sure if I was a pro writer, if I would believe or trust anybody that told me that, you know, it's like say you talk to a guy and he tells you, oh, man, that shit's lame. He's probably doing it. Yeah, right. Like he's he's making that money from it. Yeah. He's probably doing it and then telling you it's lame. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I don't. I just. I don't know. I don't trust anybody when it comes to stuff like this. You got to do what's right for you. Right. And and yeah, the way it's I see shit, it. what you know, someone else is doing. Yep. I mean, you got to eat. You got to pay your bills. <laughs> I get. I mean, I. I don't know what people got going on. You know, maybe they're independently wealthy. They've got trust funds. I, I don't know what's going on out there. I know when I was like 18, I was broke as shit. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I don't know. I think the most important part of all of this, though, is just having the conversations like that, that people can hear and just think about things that they might not have thought about otherwise. Yeah. And that's how you move forward. Yeah, I just I don't want people to think I'm that one dimensional, that it's just all you know, you're a writer, it's a job, you're getting paid, do your job. I understand for some people it's more personal. Yeah. Like you, you can't put your version of writing on anybody else because it means something totally different to everybody. For some people it's expression, some people it's for the money. I've never really spent much time around people that ride purely for the money. I've more or less have always hung around people that love to ride but need the money. Yeah. So yeah. we're not riding for money because if we, if all we wanted to do was make money, we'd be building houses or we would be Doctors. in other industries. <laughs> we would not be in the BMX industry because we all work hard and we do a good job at whatever it is that we do and we could make money doing anything, but we love riding. So now we're trying to mix something we love doing and making it a job and it, man, it just, it just gets messy. Yeah, it's tough. It's very tough. But if people have these conversations, you know, um, you can pull it off. I, I truly believe people can pull it off. They mm -hmm. just need to have the, they need to have the conversation. Sometimes that's the hardest part is just breaking the ice and having that conversation. We're in such a, you know, I, sometimes I find out what's going on with the writers I sponsor on Instagram. I can't tell you how many people, you know, over the years uh, nowadays quit, you know, on Instagram. Uh, wow without see of it. that's wild <laughs> it's crazy yeah i i don't know maybe no one you know people don't call each other on the phone anymore i guess yeah it's i mean it's definitely easier to type something than it is to pick up the phone and say it out loud that's for sure right so 
I don't know. I, I like I said, you know, you go back and watch some some interview that you do, and you just kind of feel like a lot of topics got cut short. Maybe you didn't weren't able to fully develop the the idea. Um, but I thought I definitely I just feel like I came off sounding like you know we don't need writers, I and mean, that's not true at all um, because our fans, the fans of the brand love the writers mm-hmm. Even the past and present your know, writers the the fans of snm the fans of fit they love the writers um and that's a big part of why they like the brand so i'm not saying that we don't need the writers I'm, what i'm saying is we would prefer to have writers that we really were stoked on and that were like genuinely stoked on us that's kind of that's really what i'm trying to say like it's teamwork Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't think if anybody does think that you're one dimensional in that way, I uh, I think they're the ones that might be out of touch. Uh, but it, it also blows my mind to think about how. What's the word I want to use? Like how stoked or how far behind someone will get like a company like framed or another company that doesn't have any riders when they're like, I don't understand where that connection comes from. What is your connection to this company if they don't have any riders and their bikes aren't that great? Like, what makes you like them? Oh, well, as a customer? Yeah, I don't get it. I don't understand how they, other than the fact that they're well, cheaper. You, you do have kids out there, and I'm not, uh, I don't want to, um, you know, disrespect the kids that are spending their hard earned money on brands like that because they, they like the color. Oh yeah, you know they like some little thing about the spec. They like the oil slick. Okay, uh, that's fair. That's a good. I mean, sometimes it's the kids are you know fifteen. They just got into riding. They're fourteen. They don't care about all this little insider stuff that we think is such a big deal. They just think that that color of bike looks rad. And I you know and I can't get come down on them because when I was a kid, I liked some pretty goofy bikes. I remember yeah. like this uh, bike this Bridgestone BMX bike and they didn't really have any kind of team program or anything going on I just it was anodized blue and chrome and it just looked sick and I liked it and you know you're just a kid so if the bike looks cool and why wouldn't the bike look cool these brands are making their bikes look exactly like all the most popular brands you know I'm one of the people I think that works with my team of graphics people and spec people to do the best line of bikes we can. And then next year we just see those bikes. Yeah. You know, so some brands are just sitting back and doing very little work and just basically cherry picking the best looking bikes from all the other brands and then just incorporating that colorway into their line. That's an interesting concept you know so you know oh look at look at that fit you know like one really popular bike we had years ago was sort of a trans teal color and it had some gold anodized parts on it and then you know then you just see these this colorway like popping up yeah i mean the oil slick thing is the perfect example of that because you had oil slick blew up and then all of a sudden in walmart you'd see fake oil slick bikes right yeah it makes total sense i hadn't even thought about it that way so I don't know for a kid, and you know, sometimes these kids get hung up on the the riders, the customers, they're, especially the ones that are sort of new to the sport. They get really hung up on weird stuff. I mean, I had one guy recently that was so angry that 
some fit complete bikes had a headsets on them and not every single bike had a, you know, Campe Nolo style hidden set. <laughs> I mean, the guy, I mean, I'm not kidding you. I mean, F this, F that. The guy was bent out of shape about the A headset. But I don't know how long, you know, you've been around, but the A headset was like a huge improvement over what we all grew up riding. You know, we grew up riding a one inch yeah. threaded steer tube fork with a regular threaded, you know, bear trap style headset. Yeah. And when the A headset came out in the early 90s, it was like groundbreaking. It was threadless. The the cups, um, I mean, the the, uh, the steer tube was inch and an eighth, so the fork was stronger. Yeah. Um, it was unreal. The stem clamped on. Right. It didn't have the shaft in it. Yeah. I, I've been waiting for an opportunity to say, uh, but asking how long I've been around. My first ever complete bike was a Fit Team Complete from 2006. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's right. We we probably started completes in 2005. Yeah, it was uh it had a freewheel on it, 36 tooth uh sprocket. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, uh that was a great bike. It lasted a really long time and it never broke. But that is a good point and you talking about how good those headsets were as an innovation uh john courts work bmx guy who used to make frames for snm or snm fbm uh he put a press in cup headset on the bike he rides right now because yeah. he says it's it's stronger and better so it's like the ones that come on a complete bike might not be of the same level as that but if the dude who's building frames for his job is putting one in his bike no that 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 headset works really really well the only issue with the a headsets are the press in cup style like john put on his bike the only issue with that is if the fork does bend a tiny bit and that bottom cup moves a tiny bit so your you know your top cup and your bottom cup are no longer parallel that bottom cup kind of shifts a little bit now you're gonna have a tight spot and a loose spot when you spin your bars. Yeah. That's that's the biggest issue. Or that bottom cup could actually crack. Okay. Which would happen a lot too. If you had a low quality cup or you had a low quality fork that bent easily, bottom cup would move or the bottom cup would break. But here's the funny thing about that style of headset. Um, I could ride that headset to this day, like all of us could, we would, we probably wouldn't have any problems at all because forks are so much better mm -hmm. and the headset cut material would be, would be a lot better. Yeah. When we started moving away from that, we were the first BMX company to take it to the hidden set. And the, we were the first company to put that on a frame. And when I first did it, it was on a personal bike for myself. It was a race bike. And I remember the team riders telling me at the time, that it was the grossest thing they'd ever seen. It looked like a Coke can. <laughs> it was disgusting. They hated it. Wow. They hated it because they loved their A headset, Chris King mm. A headset. Nobody wanted to get away from the Chris King A headset. So even some of the brands like T1, like there were some holdout brands that didn't want to switch to the campy style hidden set that we switched to. Yeah. And even our own team riders didn't like it. That's so crazy. I mean, I think it's just the case with anything new when it comes yeah. out. 
but here's but here's the crazy thing about it we my shop manager at the time was a mountain biker and he ran the machine shop and he had that on a bike and that that headset was invented by an italian guy named pinarello and then campy made it and licensed the idea from him and then road bikes went that way so basically the bearing the cup the whole thing it was hidden up inside the head tube mm-hmm. which, it's pretty sweet for us because now the bottom cup isn't going to move and the bottom cup isn't going to crack. So you're never going to get the tight spot. And because the cup was tapered and the internal part of the head tube was tapered, that cup, as it drew itself together, would always stay centered. It could even move a tiny bit, and the top one maybe could move a tiny bit, but they would always stay parallel to one another. Uh, so I see. on the bars, say you did a bar spin. You know, like you did one of your ice pick stalls and you're in the middle of like a half an hour bar spins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would never get tight. It would just keep spinning. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So the funny thing, though, is that nowadays what's happened is on the complete bike end of things, that particular head tube, the hidden set head tube, where all the 45 degree machining is done on the inside, mm-hmm. you know, the inner diameter, that thing has to be turned on a lathe. So it has to be CNC machined. Right. An A headset head tube where the cups press in, that piece of material is straight off the rack. Gotcha. So they just take a piece of tubing off the rack, cut it, weld it to the frame. It doesn't right. require any internal machining or external machining. So it doesn't need to be put on a CNC lathe. It can come off the rack, get cut, put on the bike. So to make that jump to the to the A headset style where you have to machine the inside, which is really tricky on the lathe. You gotta have the you know boring bar in there, or and you have to machine the, the outside diameter as well. That costs like an extra $12 in Taiwan to machine the head tube. Not wow. just people always say, oh, the headsets, they're pretty much the same price. It's not an issue of the headset price. It's machining right. the head tube. When you add that much cost, by the time it gets to retail, you're talking $30. Right. So if you have a $329 bike and you're trying to get it out for $299, where are you going to – all you have to do is put an A headset on it, and now it's $299, and no kid is ever going to need the hidden set. Right. They think they do, but they don't. They're never going to have a problem with the A headset. And, like, what would be the problem? Yeah. For that level of what that bike's going to be used for, yeah. You're not going to have a problem with the A headset unless you bend the steer tube of the fork. And we don't make a bike under the Fit brand that doesn't have a chrome steer tube. Not one single bike, 12 inch all the way to 29 inch. Everything has a chrome steer tube on the fork. Nice. So we don't make a, a, a just a straight, you know. Um, mild steel or high tensile steel steer tube they're all chromoly so the steer tube's not going to bend maybe the fork leg bends but that's not going to affect your headset yeah so people think they need the hidden set now and you know 20 years ago the pro riders didn't want the hidden set so it's just it's so crazy sometimes you know yeah it's interesting concept. and a lot of times it's like people come out with great ideas and it all depends on who brings them out. You know, if, if the wrong person brings them out at the wrong time, then people think it's the dumbest thing ever. And then a different person brings out the same thing in a different time. It's the best thing ever. Or the wrong company does something first and it's not cool, but then the right company does it and it's the coolest thing ever. That's exact. That's what I meant to say. I mean, that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, that exists 
fully in BMX. Yeah. Just... So, you know, the, I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with this. I got, I got lost in the vortex of uh, a headsets, but I, <laughs> I can tell you right now that the a headset was a huge improvement over a one inch threaded, you know, headset. And then the hidden set's good too, but not everybody needs it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about a kid who's just going to be riding a bike around town or, you know, doing basic stuff as they're learning, you get the, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, when you had that, the, the fit team back in 06, it was integrated. Did it have one piece cranks? No, it was, uh, it was three piece pinch bolt cranks. Okay. Yeah. I don't know that that, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that bike was like the tier above anything that would be one piece or like not full chromoly bars or forks. Yeah. That bike. Well, even the chromoly thing, you know, like even your cheapest BMX bike from our core brand nowadays comes with a high tensile steel parts. Um, high tensile steel parts are a huge upgrade from, you know, mild steel, which is what we all, what I grew up riding and chromoly is steel. Mm -hmm. I don't know if people, people, they see steel and they think, oh my God, like this bike's going to fold up like a beach chair, but chromoly is steel. Yeah. I, the, the point I make whenever I make videos about recommending people to buy bikes is that if you have any plans of doing like real BMX riding and keeping this bike for a long period of time, you want to at least go for the bike that's full chromoly everything because that is the one that's just going to last you the longest. And then you can choose your upgrade path rather than if you buy something lesser, you are forced into upgrading. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, you get a, you spend 600 bucks on a full chromo complete right now, you're golden. Mm -hmm. For a while too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could ride the thing. Yep. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if you noticed, but you know, we recently, uh, started working with Scott town. Yeah. I saw that from Michigan and you know, he had a lot of stuff to choose from when he came to work for us and he got a, a fit TRL complete. Yep. And I think he swapped maybe the bars and the grips. He definitely swapped a few things for feel just for his personal preference. Um, but he's riding a TRL complete bike, you know, right out of the box. Yeah, I saw his Facebook post about that, and he seemed genuinely stoked on the fact that he had everything to choose from, but that is what he chose and wanted to ride. Yeah, I think that's sweet that you can do that. Yeah, it says something, and and the fact that that exists is, is great, and I think it all can exist. Did you say something about, maybe it was somebody else saying something about uh, how it, could be a cool thing to see like base level you know snm bike at a, a place where someone could or fit in a place where someone could get it kind of like the mongoose model like you can buy a mongoose at walmart then you can buy a full chromoly mongoose what do you think about that concept of things buy the full chromo like a kid can start on a cheap you know, Walmart bike that they're just riding around in circles as their first bike ever, and then end up on a full chromoly sealed bearing, double walled rims version made by the same yeah. company. I mean, it'd be getting new kids riding. It, it would be like, is always good. Yeah. 
my biggest fear, especially when we started making complete bikes with fit, because that was one of the biggest things that, that made fit different from S and M. I mean, we already had S and M from 87 to, you know, 99. Mm-hmm. Um, why would we need to start another brand? You know? Yeah. Part of it was that we could import stuff like complete bikes. S and M just isn't about that. Right. You know, S and M is just domestic, you know, American made stuff. So part of having another brand was, Oh, we could import bikes. But once we kind of got over that and I did my initial trip over to Taiwan with, you know, I actually went over with Stu Dawkins and uh, Stefan Prantel and they were starting federal and we, the people, and then we were starting fit all at the same time. And I went with both those guys, but where my mind was, was, uh, I didn't want to make a complete bike that gave you a bad experience. You know, like I didn't yeah. want kids waking up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night thinking about, you know, their pedal snapping off or whatever. Right. I wanted that entry level bike, even if it was going to be, you know, 300 bucks, I wanted the entry level bike to be relatively solid. So their first experience was good. And that's where a lot of these factors start coming into play. I mean, if you go down to the Walmart level, even if it's materials are good, the way that that bike gets built at Walmart is going to really jeopardize the way that it rides from the get go. I mean, not safe. It's the Walmart here. All the bikes are outside in the snow. Nice. Every day. Yeah. It's just not safe. They're just sitting out there covered in snow every single day. The forks are on backwards. Yeah. You know, they're just built poorly, right? So it doesn't matter if the frame's chromoly. Yeah. The, you know, the, the fork is on backwards. It doesn't matter. So that's a big problem. And then the other thing about it is um, if the kid has a terrible, terrible experience with the bike, either because Walmart doesn't know how to build it properly or because he doesn't know how to build it properly and he buys it mail order and it comes in a box. Uh, it doesn't matter what we put on the bike. It's going to be a terrible experience. So you've got to get the bike built properly from the get go. And then no matter how well the bike's built from the, from the onset, it's going to have to get worked on again in the first couple of weeks. I mean, you're talking about, single walled rims on the front at least even on like mid-level bikes the front wheel is going to be single walled right so you're going to have to go in after like a week or so and tighten all the spokes and true the wheel you have to yeah and people don't know how to do that Mm -hmm. and if you if you buy it at a bike shop you can take it into the bike shop and i would like to think that anyone that was a fit dealer would know how to true a wheel and i know they can't and they will they'll help you now your wheels are going to last for a long time but you missed that one critical tightening a week in, two weeks in, and your wheels are, you're, they're done. Right. Yeah. No, that's a good, good thought there. For why? So you buy your bike at Walmart. It doesn't matter. You could have, you know, the best, uh, you know, double walled, welded and pin seam rim. It doesn't matter if you don't true that thing after a couple of weeks. The wheel's gonna go south on you, and then that's a done deal. So. You need people there to help you work on the bike, if unless you need unless you can learn how to work on it yourself. Yep, uh, powers. So the Walmart thing that just an inexperienced retailer is a recipe for disaster, no matter how well the bike is specced. Um, and then riders just need to learn how to work on their bikes. And maybe you know Stu Johnson had some great ideas the other day about bikes coming with, you know 
more instruction on how to work on them, maybe even a few entry level tools, maybe even like a couple of uh, inner tubes. Yeah. Just so that that first experience is a good one and you don't just put the bike down and get into something else. Yeah, I, I'd say that's a, definitely a good thing. Uh, powers. Or, you know, like another, another example on these completes is like uh, some of our bikes have a loose ball hub on the front. Mm-hmm. And like the same guy that's losing it about the hidden set on the $300 complete or whatever, he, he's the same kind of guy that's losing it about the loose ball hub. But in all honesty, what is wrong with the loose ball front hub? Like I rode professionally on a loose ball front hub and one piece cranks at, at one point. Yeah. With a loose ball front hub. For, for who the bike is for, I don't think anything. But I mean, are you are you going underwater on your bike? Yeah. Well, I've just seen loose ball hubs like seize up on people who are riding them when they bought a bike that had that at the skate park. Well, what, I mean, what causes it to seize up? It's probably that it's not adjusted properly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those things of like that bike at that level is is who that's made for versus somebody who's you know, going to be jumping 10 feet in the air is I think a little bit different. Yeah. I'm again, if you don't know how to work on your bike, you probably need your bike to be as just bulletproof and dummy proof as possible. Yeah. But if you can work on your bike, uh, (laughs) you can make all this stuff work for you. But I mean, I don't know how we went down this road with, with the bike, but uh, it's okay. (laughs) You know, I just, these people get real worked up about the spec on these bikes and you're trying to make the cost of entry into the sport more affordable. And there's not many places on the bike nowadays where you can, you can make, uh, you can save money. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough, especially as things are going. I mean, I was, I was also going to ask about too, uh, from your perspective and what you do, where do things stand today as far as being compared to before COVID? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, uh, before COVID, things were, you know, pretty level. And then COVID was a really weird time. And now I feel like after COVID, we're all kind of, it's like that, uh, it's like a, a COVID hangover. Um, a lot of weird stuff happened in in the bike business. The retailers, like we said, stocked up on a bunch of weird stuff. Now they have to sell it. Uh, brands have a lot of inventory. Um, I feel like during COVID, people went out and rode. Mm-hmm. Dads kind of reconnected with their kids. They started riding together. And then went, once COVID ended and a lot of their sort of cush work remotely jobs just evaporated, turned back into either coming to the office or you don't have a job kind of a thing Mm -hmm. then the bikes sort of went in the backyard or in the garage and now the kids are back in school parents are struggling to make ends meet and all of a sudden that sort of covid era which was like you know horrible and uh, a dream at the same time i mean you know people are you know getting sick and we're losing you know friends and family members to covid but but then you've got people out having like the best time of their lives as well now it's just like a huge reality check is what I think has happened. And I think there's just a lot of bikes rusting away in backyards probably. 
Yeah, I, a lot of people talk about the comparisons between how insane sales and everything were during COVID compared to now. But I wonder about how things are compared to before COVID even happened. Like, are we are we above where we were? Are we below where we were as far as sales and interest goes? I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of always just in the now, just dealing with what's happening now. But that that is a really interesting question. Um, I would like to think that maybe some new people got exposed to writing. Yeah. During COVID, uh, it seems like pump tracks, public, you know, parks. It seemed like a lot of stuff got built. I know around here, there's a couple of Indian reservations that built skate parks during uh, COVID, um, and they're really good. I'm, I'm assuming that kind of stuff happened all over the place. I know, you know, yeah. Dave King and, and Quint Reynolds and all these guys and the Hallahans, guys that are in the business of building pump tracks and building trails for you know cities and counties. They seem like they're they've been busy yeah definitely there's a lot of stuff that's being being so built. I, maybe people got real stoked on riding during covid and then all these things started getting built so i don't know maybe we're back to kind of just where we were before covid as far as people riding but maybe the groundwork has been laid yeah for like things really growing going I, forward it's just you know are they are people going to be riding 20 inch bikes are going to be riding 26 inch bikes or are they going to be riding Stasics? Yeah, I, that could be it too. Uh, I just here in Ohio, I know that Ray's had an influence on these things, but there was two different, there's a pump track built pretty much in Ray's parking lot. And then there's a whole bike park that was built 10 minutes away. That is, it's going to get more people into riding in general for sure. Yeah. I would yeah, imagine it's happened a lot of places. I mean, I always loved going to Ray's, um, but it was in the winter. So, uh, but yeah, when the weather's nice and you're in Ohio, you, you don't really want to be indoors. Right. You've already been indoors for five months. Yep. Yep. So there's, nice. go ahead. Nice to, nice to come outside. Yeah. And, and so because of Ray's and just, the the world in general moving more towards cycling i feel uh there are just so many places that have been built and you hear about it all the time so i can only imagine more and more people will start riding whatever it might be yeah no that's good i mean so that's one that's good one positive takeaway from it all but yeah as far as uh business i'm not sure i would i would imagine it's probably down a little bit for on the brand side just because of the inventory issues. Um, but on the actual end user side, it's probably at the same level as it was pre COVID or maybe even up a bit. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's hope. I, yeah. I, there's a lot of, you know, gloom and doom because of how much inventory people have and how horrible things are. But I, I hope that it's still at the very least better than where it was before all that craziness. Yeah. And like we were saying, I mean, you just got to keep the business side of it and the writing side of it. If you can, if you're in the business for those of us that are, you got to keep them separate. Otherwise you'll just, it'll just take the fun out of it. You know? I, uh, yeah, fully. That's, that's why I love these new S and M videos, the uh, Colorado one you watched and then the uh, built different that comes out this weekend. I mean, no, there's no gloom and doom there. No, I, I watched both of them. I, I watched built different probably, 
little like between I don't know five days ago, so it wasn't the final cut yet, but it is just nothing but people stoked on riding yeah. and just insane riding. There's so much crazy, crazy stuff in that video, and then the Colorado one. I mean, we were talking a little bit before this. I just think that there needs to be more videos like that in BMX. You know, you see the trip videos and you see the raw cuts from those and those get some of the personality in it. But this Colorado one, maybe it was because Stu was making it. It takes that another step further to where you really get the personality. And a great example of that is the REA. Seeing his personality in there where you haven't really got to talk with you know hear him talk or hear from him like that before it's like oh this kid is even cooler than you really thought just based on his writing yeah no i love that and getting it on film is is not easy with with writers you know mm-hmm. Stu's just really good at it yeah i i mean i I, I love the prop stuff and that has a real props feel to me oh yeah i mean i I will admit I haven't seen as much as I should have of those those videos, but from what I have seen, it's I mean it's the feel of it like that feel is captured in there. But I think maybe the props feel is more of just the the really capturing what's happening and the people who are there talking about what was happening at the same time. I think that's at its bare what it is. Yeah, no, there's there's definitely a. A feel to it that's very props asking you know it makes sense because Stu was so he was such a big part of props yeah it, and just the the community aspect of those things it's it, you can have your your edit with just writing in it and the way I like to do things is I'll make that edit with just writing in it and make it you know all the hammers to music and and the conventional style video but then I'll also have the longer cut of it, like uh, the Cornhucket Jam. I had the highlights, which were like eight minutes, and then I made a literal hour and 15 minute long movie from the weekend. Yeah. No, I I love that. Um, Some people don't want to see all the camaraderie. Right, and that's why they get... Some people just want to see the tricks. Right, so you got the edit for those people, and then for anyone who... Because it all can exist it anymore yeah i mean what's the point of everyone putting out the exact same thing there isn't one (laughs) and there's so many i mean the guys that are out there that are just melting your brain with the writing not everybody's you know you can't not everyone can compete with that on that level anyway so i like the idea that different projects speak to different people and you've just got something different to to watch when you wanted to, you know, if you, you're gearing up to do some big move and you want to watch this, you know, like this section, you watch that section. Or you, yep. it's like putting music on when you go ride. You can put on a different type of music when you're going to do a different type of thing. Mm-hmm. But you put in that uh, that Colorado uh, vacation video and you just want to get in the van with the dudes mm-hmm. and go on a trip. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely and, it. And what's cool about that is that anybody can do that. Yeah, a lot of people, that's that's what a lot of people do these days with so many jams and events going on so far everywhere. You get a, yeah. you get a few dudes in a vehicle and you just go. Yeah, and you know, this is 
talk about, we were talking about 1990, how the business was like really slow in 1990. Uh, stuff like this happens when the business takes a, a turn sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, people, they refocus on what it is that they actually love about the bike business and being in it in the first place. And then it, it just reminds them of why they were doing it. You know, when you're wrapped up in the day to day and you're just chasing your tail, trying to keep up with everything that's happening. And it's just, you know, you're, you're just taking on more and more and more and more stuff all the time. You could lose sight of why you're even doing it. So it's, it's nice sometimes to take a breather and yep. refocus. Um, and I feel like there's just some of that going on right now. Yeah, fully. Uh, Red's BMX said, load the van up and bring back shop stops. <laughs> I, I love the shop stops. Um, they're, they're super fun to do. Um, even in the 80s, that was a big deal. You know, shops would load up with their quarter pipe trailer and go to shops. And uh, yeah, I'd love to see that come back. Yeah, man. Um, I don't mean to completely take away from the shop thing, but speaking on, you're talking about the 90s and how BMX was. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on if you think BMX in its current state, as far as how people say it's not doing well and all that crap, if that, if there's a comparable time in history to what we're going through now. Yeah. I think it was the, uh, late eighties. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just around the time I started S and M in, in 87, there were so, there were tons and tons of brands, some super weird ones. I mm. mean, Hanter, General, uh, I could go on and on and on. There were so many weird people uh, in the in the BMX business, and shops were telling me, you know, it was dead. The magazine I worked at went out of business. Pretty much everybody went out of business except for you know the real core companies, and then everything just sort of reset itself in the early '90s, and then it turned into more of the 20 inch biking world that we know today. Um, it feels very similar to that. And I don't think there's been another time in the last 35 years that has felt sort of like that, you know? So what would you I would say late eighties kind of felt like this. And obviously things went out of it and BMX is very cyclical and how it has its peaks and its valleys. What, what would you say took us out of that, that time back then? Well, yeah, in the late mid eighties, everything was very, you know, freestyle and race. So both sides, you know, leathers, jerseys, you know, a lot of parents involved, um, tons and tons of like, you know, competitions with, overall awards at the end of the year and number plates it was all that kind of stuff and and i there wasn't a whole lot of like there was no such thing as street riding there really wasn't dirt jumping the way we know it now it was just very structured freestyle and racing competitions that was kind of the vibe and then all that kind of went out the window and when the 90s when things first started you know kind of building up again with brands like S&M and Standard came in, Hoffman came in. It was more about the riders running the show. Okay. You know, people were riding street. They were, you know, wooden skate parks were starting to happen, that kind of thing. It was more uh, free and loose. People were doing what they wanted to do. It wasn't st as structured. 
And I think that's when it started to feel the way it feels now. It didn't, it didn't feel like that in, in the mid eighties. Interesting. That's it's, it's from an industry standpoint. I mean, a lot of writers, we were out doing that stuff. That's kind of how S and M even started up because we were out, we weren't really the best racers and we clearly weren't freestylers. So we were just kind of dirt jumpers, street riders. And there was no one doing that. There was no company that, you know, embodied that version of, of bike riding. And then we kind of got into that. And, and I think like now that's what we all kind of do. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting way to hear about it. So, so having said all that, what do you think drives us out of the time we're in now to better times? Well, I, mean, I just, you know, you have to scale back. Everybody has to readjust. You know, you don't have the Canadian, Australian, European complete bike money anymore. So mm -hmm. you got to scale back, you know, and it's going to look different for everybody than it has. But it's going to be... Um, just back to the basics, you know, you're, you're not, we can't sponsor 200 people. Right. We've been trying for years. I mean, the amount of bikes and the amount of product we give out to people and ship to people, it's astounding, man. I'm, I'm telling you, there's probably a hundred people, a wow. hundred riders on the S and M and fit free product list. Jeez. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's so, hard to sustain. <laughs> it's so crazy. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And we've been trying to like, just keep it together. So you don't want to tell a dude you've been given free stuff to for, you know, a few years that you can't give them free stuff. I mean, there's nothing worse than that. It's always great when you're hooking someone up for the first time, but how do you tell them you can't? Yeah, that's rough. So basically we haven't had that reset quite yet. Like we're going into the reset right now. I think so. I think the reset's 2023, yeah. Okay, yeah, because I, I talked with, uh, I noticed at Swamp Fest, Ronnie and Robbie were sitting together, so we did a little, like, talk about the current state of things. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I call that, I call that Sock Fest. <laughs> yeah, their, uh, their lawn party. Because the, the three of you guys were sitting in, like, a, like a <laughs> dog yeah, it was enclosure. Yeah, it was a dog fence. And none like, of you guys had shoes on. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> it was like the the sock fest uh, summit. Yeah, it was. You and Morales and uh, Bonner. Yeah, I watched that thing. I uh, that was pretty. That was pretty funny to watch, to be honest. Or uh, Robbie said some similar stuff in there, just in that about twenty twenty two being the survival year. Now yeah. I think we're extending that into 2023 and, and we're really, well, I probably just, yeah, I, I probably just held on a little longer. I mean, me and Robbie have worked together a lot through the years. I mean, geez, fit from, uh, 99 to 2009. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we'd been friends, you know, since we were kids before that. So we think uh, similarly about a lot of things. And I mean, we kind of came up in the same era and yeah. And Ronnie too. I mean, I was friends with Ronnie when I was 16 and Ronnie started UGP at the same time I started S and M. So I I've known those guys for a long time and we all think probably pretty, we probably think along the same lines in a lot of, in a lot of ways. I mean, we're all career BMX guys. So yep. we deal with the same issues. Um, 
so I wouldn't be surprised if they were saying a similar a similar thing. Um, yeah, I probably would have been saying the same stuff if I was there. I would have been wearing shoes, but uh, <laughs> I probably would have been saying similar stuff. But uh, yep. yeah, but again, I mean, we get ourselves into these situations, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I mean, we'll get ourselves out of it too. Yeah, eventually. I mean, I. I'm always the first guy to uh, to jump on the uh, opportunity to help out someone that's coming up that's like ripping, mm-hmm. and I get this every single day. Yeah, every, I bet. Every day, it's you gotta check this out. It's a DM, it's an email, it's a text message. You gotta check out this dude. You have to hook up this dude every day, and they are all that good. Like yeah. every dude is that good and not all dudes like girls too you know you gotta check out this chick or this dude how, are we how can we sponsor like a thousand people yeah i mean that's the that's it you can't <laughs> you can't but yeah. every single day it's you gotta check out this dude and and it's not just me it's everyone that works at snm or fit or it's even the writers like the guys we already hook up now they have a dude that you gotta hook up Mm-hmm. you got to hook up this dude and between all the brands you know you just mentioned ronnie and, and robbie so cult sabrosa zach at kink you know myself um whatever other brands are out there uh, all of them yeah we're all doing it and everybody's getting the same so messages people, there's almost no one left to buy anything yeah and everybody gets those same messages every single day and they probably go around and around like, you know, they'll hit up someone first and if they don't bite, then they probably hit up someone else. And like someone's dead set on getting that person hooked up with somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And then eventually they, they probably are going to get hooked up. Like it's just, it's, it's maddening, man. It's, it's mind blowing. like, and then if you say no, you're crazy. Like, oh, I just can't, I just can't afford to hook up another person. And they're like, oh my God, do you see what he just did? Yeah. Yep, I saw what he just did, but I already have like 20 dudes that do that. Uh, so what in your mind is the single most important factor in deciding to help somebody out like that? I mean, in my old age, I would say I just got to meet these people. I got to know them. You know, I'd like to hang out with them. I'm, I'm getting a little burnt on the like, oh, this person's, you know, the best ever. And then you hook them up and maybe they're not. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm a good judge of character. At least the people. If I, I feel like I need to meet them personally. It's it's crazy, but I feel like that's where we're at because I've had a lot of guys representing me through the years. In 35 years, I've had a lot of guys that were kind of in that role where I put them out there on my behalf to represent what we're doing as a brand. Yep. And maybe their idea of someone's personality is different than mine. And then when that person, that middleman's gone, then things kind of can unravel right. a bit. So I think it, it, it would be smart for me to meet everybody personally, but that's going to limit the amount of people that you can help out. You know? right. how, how am I going to help out a guy from you know, Cleveland if I'm not going to be in Cleveland for a year? Yeah, it's a great point. And he's, and he's not coming out west for a year. Right. So then you got to rely on a dealer, a friend, another team rider, someone in the area to vouch for them. 
And sometimes the best people will vouch for someone and the person will turn out to be a total shithead. Right. Yeah, it's Which is tough. Cr- and then they're, they're dumbfounded. You know, like your solid person that vouched for them is just dumbfounded. Yeah. And they said, I never saw that coming. I'm like, well, I mean, I mean, like, how could you? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well. So I don't know. That, that at this point, it's kind of like, man, I don't think, like, we just can't afford to, we got to do more with the people we have. We can't even think about new people. Yeah, totally understandable, too. Which is the worst, because then someone's going to come up that's just so sick, and you're going to be like, oh, my God, like, we got to hook them up. <laughs> well, and that's it the, never ends, man. That's the passionate and the love for BMX inside you, though, that is like, man, I just love it so much, and I can see yeah. it in this person, and I want to help them. Oh, totally. You're like, man, I got to, like, how rad would it be if that dude just had, like, the shield on right now, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that guy was on fit. It just, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say no. I, I have a question that I think is a pretty fun one that goes along these lines. So let me make sure I read it and get it right. Okay. So is there a rider or which rider throughout the years that you were totally unsure about helping out, but worked out the best or paid off the most and turned out to be like the best choice ever? Hoder. Is it? Yeah. You weren't sure in the beginning? <laughs> do you rem- do you remember the beginning? <laughs> no, this is why I don't I, this is why I'm learning here. <laughs> oh yeah. No, Hoder. Absolutely there's no question. Uh Yeah, he was on Sunday for a little bit and then I think he sold his bikes. Oh, oops. <laughs> yeah. That's no, nobody in their right mind wanted to touch Hoder with a 10-foot seat post. That's you know? so crazy. I kind of didn't even when my, when one of my guys came to me and it, it was a bike shop in Seattle and then it was our rep, Adam, that worked in the office with me. He's the one that brought that idea to me. And I remember mentioning it to a people, a couple people. Uh, I think one of them actually was Morales at the time. And I, and they, they just were like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like no way in, in the world. I don't want to throw Robbie under the bus for that one necessarily. I think it was him, but it might not have been him. Um, but somebody told me like, man, that dude is nothing but trouble. And then I kind of dug into it and I thought, oh, geez, he's a wreck. Yeah. I mean, you saw the, you saw the clips. I mean, he's got some of the best clips that have ever happened. Pre S and M, you know, like whatever that bean video was or the facade video, like the, you saw that stuff. It was unreal. Yeah, he's incredible still it, to this it was, day. It was unreal, yeah. But he was a, a total liability, like just a huge loose cannon. But then in my mind, I thought, man, McMurray was the same way. Yeah. Troy McMurray was the same way. You know, people were like, oh, you know, there was those stories that he just smashed the window out and Davenport at Standard and stole all their stuff. And remember, all, I don't know if you remember all that. It's probably before your time, but. It is. There was this rumor that he had like smashed the window at standard and stole all this stuff. I don't think that happened, but everybody was talking about it and nobody wanted to touch him either, but he was just so rad. I, and McKinney went to bat for him. I could, I just, we were like, we got to hook this dude up. And that, that went really, really good too. 
actually. And now it's funny. Now he's kind of back in the fold and I see him all the time and ride with them. And we're helping out, you know, that, uh, reclamation, making some products for them. And, oh, okay. And you know, and his girls are coming down here and playing with, with our girls and you know, everything's good. But yeah, he was another one that was like a loose cannon. We've, I've got a history of taking on the loose cannon, you know, um, Tony Cardona, like you're a Midwestern guy. Tony Cardona was like a Midwestern. Uh, I mean, he's a legend in in Illinois. Yeah, I, I'll admit I'm not as well read as I should be because I was, well, I he was, was. He was like a scrap guy or the pit. He rode at the pit, you know, in Rockford. Yeah. And grew up. He won that um, uh, Jomo Pro. Okay, I've heard of that. Yeah, he won the Jomo Pro one year. You know, he was like a full break pad dude. Nice. I've heard his name. I just, yeah, no, he was an indoor skate park dude. And then, yeah, he moved to, he went to, to PA and then went to Austin and became like this breakless core dude. But he was another one that was like, Oh, if people have already been on FBM and that didn't work out good, it's like, how can you not, how can you not pull off riding for FBM? Mm -hmm. like, you get kicked off FBM. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What do you got to do to get kicked off FBM, honestly? It's got to be serious. Be convicted of murder. Yeah, manslaughter. Like premeditated, first-degree murder. <laughs> yeah, for real. FBM, but... Uh, but, yeah, the one that worked out the best out of all the loose cannons and all the risky propositions, Hoder, for sure. That's so cool to hear. And he seems like such an awesome person when you see yeah. in the videos today and, and like... His grips, everybody loves his grips, everybody loves his frame. Yeah, I don't, I haven't been ordering a whole bunch of stuff lately uh, for inventory. I mean, we make, you know, we're, we, ha we always have a hard time keeping up with making stuff. Yeah. But as far as ordering products that come from other suppliers, I have not been ordering very much lately, but I did order like thousands of black hoder grips the other day. Yeah, they're just, they're a grip that, everybody seems to love and Hoder's just one of those like I think people like characters and Hoder is a character just by being himself and that yeah. is what's awesome oh yeah yeah Hoder's just spent a week with them out here it's hysterical I mean and he's just ripping all the you know he goes to the park it's just a totally different vibe it yeah I love Hoder um and he's a good dude, um, but you know, like all of us, he's had his, his, his problems, you know, and he's had to learn how to deal with whatever, you know, psychological issues were troubling him or whatever, or, or, you know, like addiction issues. And he's like gotten over all that or is dealing with all that. And he's like a, a really solid stand up dude. And he's, he's, he's got like loyalty, you know, that's a guy that like go to bat for you. Yeah. Yeah, For sure. You know, he could be somewhere and people could just be talking all kinds of poo about me and S&M and fit and whatever. And, you know, he's not going to jump in there and, you know, you know, be he's just going to say, hey, I don't know, man, like everything's they've been good to me and uh, I got nothing bad to say about him. And I know that's how he would handle it. And I, that stuff goes a long way. You yep. know, we all work really hard at what we do and then just, to just be getting like bashed all the time is like it gets like for some people it's it's a little uh a little much it's exhausting for sure it's exhausting yeah it's nice to have a, a hoder out there that you know has got your back and is going to tell people ah you may have heard that but that's probably not that's not really been my experience you yeah know? 
right? Or that's not the full story. That's just that's not the whole story. Yep. Uh, another one here. Rapid fire. Is there a standout best-selling S and M frame of all time? I mean, I think the best-selling frame of all time is probably a fit um, Aiken frame. Oh, I have one of those. Yeah, there's a few different versions, you know, series of Aiken frames, but I, I would I, because back in the early days of S and M, from '87 uh, to. 97 or you know 87 to 2000 so 13 years we didn't make our own frames you know we had them oh okay um so it's hard to remember like any one particular snm would change models a lot we'd always move on to something else but i feel like by the time we were making that aiken frame with fit after uh you know like in the early 2000s um right from the beginning of fit I feel like that was being made in our shop and we were just making them nonstop. Yeah, well, I mean, Aiken, he just took over the world yeah. at that time. Never really seen anything like that since. No? You don't... We haven't, no. I wonder, is there anything that has really happened like that since in BMX? I mean, think about, think about it from the riding style to, like, the style of uh, dress. Yep. I mean, he changed I feel like he changed everything I yeah wholeheartedly agree to that and it wasn't just it wasn't just trails it was it was everything it was parks it was wood parks concrete parks street yep. trails it was everything and the kid raced too before that you know yeah everybody just wanted to be Aiken oh yeah we had there was like we had Mikey Fakins there was a <laughs> There were we had there were so there were guys that we actually had names for because they were so obviously trying to be, you know, mm-hmm. Mikey Aiken. They were the it was Mikey Faken. That's um, so good. There were so many of them uh, in that era, but yeah, I don't know if we've seen anything like that. That's I'm not sure. I mean, Edwin Edwin was on fit too back then, and uh, man, he really he changed things a lot too yeah he's another one of those iconic riders from like a different lens than aitken yeah totally different scene but turned it upside down mm-hmm. you know as far as street riding went yeah like very very skate influence like i know he wasn't probably even following skating but i think inadvertently just by doing what he was doing it was very skatish interesting you know that's the feel i always got like you know a lot of ledge stuff and manual Mm. stuff and uh, a lot of that stuff that he was doing then people are still trying to do now yeah so he was very influential and he was on fit that squad too um but yeah long story longer to answer that question i I would say aiken's probably the one dude probably had the biggest like or the frame it was who which frame do we make the most of yeah i'm gonna say it was the aiken frame yeah Somebody said that, or the from just the S and M side, the BTM maybe because you've been making oh, it yeah, for so yeah. long. Oh yeah, definitely. Either BTM or ATF. Yeah, I uh, I always had a thing with the BTM because those are my initials. I'm like, oh, that's my god, what? Wow, I didn't. What's the middle name? Uh, should I make you guess? Uh, Thomas. E- there you go. See, no. easy. 
what's the what's the official name of the show here? Is there a name of the show? I just call it Talking BMX. Oh, because I think you should call it More BMX. Listen, do we have to go here? Yeah. I bought that domain. <laughs> oh, you did? Okay. That's a good name. Well, that's officially it. Thank you've revealed it to the world. This show is now called More BMX. Did we just rename the show? Just I now? mean, officially, it was gonna happen eventually, but I didn't know oh, when. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, you did it for me, so thanks. Wow. I'm gonna... well, I was thinking about that today. When I was a kid, we had a sponsored rider in our town in California. His name was Daryl Moore, and mm. he rode for this, uh, I can't remember the name of the company, Procraft, I think, was the bike company. Okay. And first big ad he ever had was, more air, more style, more BMX. Yeah. And it just, I was today I was thinking about that. I was like, I don't know what the show is called, but it should be called More BMX. Well, that's it. That's what it's going to be from now on because I was going to do that anyway, and you just did it without right. even knowing. <laughs> I like the questions, too. What, who else we got down there? Uh, in the chat? Yeah, we got anybody coming after me? Any, any Anybody uh, me a new one? Nobody coming after you at all. Powers was in here for a while. Uh, Chad? Yeah, I th I'm assuming it was Chad. Um, and then there was a couple questions I was going to rapid fire at you. Somebody asked if you would ever sponsor racers again. Yes, I would. We, we recently sold a bike to, uh, to some top, to some top racer. I don't actually, I don't know if they want me to even say that. Um, cool. I would. Racing's a weird one. Racing's kind of expensive. You know, you get one of those elite, they call them elite guys now. Mm -hmm. um, we call them double A pros back in, in my day. But those entry fees every weekend can be 300 bucks, you know, a weekend. And these guys race all the time. So you're talking about entry fees, travel. Sure. On that kind of deal, it'd be a little pricey. But yeah, I would, I've actually had a few people. The big race was in Tulsa last week, the USA yep. brands, and some people were asking me, you know, why we didn't have a tent there. Like, man, it's just, it's just, a, it's, it's expensive to be there. But yes, I would consider, well, uh, sponsoring somebody if it was, if it all worked out right. There's that. Uh, somebody asked how tall Hoder is. I think he's six six. That's what somebody said. He looks six six. Yeah. Uh, so there was that one. Um, I was on the phone earlier with Charlie and he told me to ask you how it was getting clips for the full length, especially <laughs> because you're coming off of recovering from full out hip like replacement surgery. So that's a big deal. Well, it actually it wasn't hip, like I did the hip, I did one hip replacement then a few years later I did another hip replacement and then a year later I did a full shoulder rebuild that was two years ago that was actually way more intense than the hip replacements okay and then last year i went over the bars at a race and i broke my hand and so my most recent surgery was my hand i had a bunch of pins in my hand but i got those yanked out you know like i don't know eight months ago or something so i wasn't really recovering from anything just i didn't really go out i sh what i should have done was film with Stu when Stu was here for the party and I should have gone out and actually ridden, done some stuff. Like there's a few things I could have definitely done. I didn't do that because um, I was just busy, like partying with everybody, and yeah. I never, never got around to it. So then I had a buddy in town that has a red camera and films hockey for the NHL, and I had him come down to the trails one day, and I just did a few little tabletops. But I didn't, 
I didn't really film for it. I okay. kind of wish I would have, but I didn't. But I'm trying to like stretch this out. You know, like I'm on about a one year run of not being in some kind of cast or mm-hmm. walker. So I'm trying to just like stretch it out. So maybe I'll just gear up for the 40 year video. Yeah. Well, I, from what was in that video, I was stoked on it. You had some good, good jumping clips. And uh, the only thing that I didn't see was a bar spin. That was it. Yeah, that's what I should have done. Actually, I really should have just done the bar spin over that first set. I don't. Yeah. 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 Next time. Uh, yeah. Oh well. Either way, though, I to talk more about the video just because I don't know if people fully know about it yet because it's happening so fast. The video yeah. is available Saturday, right? Yeah. Yeah. Saturday, like there is yeah. a brand new full length S and M video coming out. Saturday. It's called Built yeah. Different. Charlie edited it, and you guys talked a little bit about how their clips was sourced from all over the place to make it a better result than having to send one person around the entire country. Bingo. And, and it's good. I watched the whole thing. What, what are you? What's your thoughts on it? I love it. It's a it's, it's a fun watch. Um, it's got really good writing in it. Uh, it's got a, a pretty diverse, you know, collection of like diverse uh, set of writers. I mean, there's all kinds of writing in it. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's right up there with you know every other full length S and M video ever. I mean, uh, and the fact that Charlie's got it done. Um, is, is just mind blowing because not all my video experiences have, have been this, have been like this, you know. Really? No, I mean we think about S and M and Fit through the years. How many full length videos we've put out? A lot. We've put out a lot, yeah, and there and and every one of them is is like a, a it can get very dramatic. Like the process of it. Oh yeah. Videos push everybody to the edge. Like it pushes the squad all the writers, the TM or the filmer or whatever. It just pushes everyone to the brink every single time. Like whenever there's like a big, you know, fallout or there's a bunch of uh, static, it's usually surrounding a big video project because there's so much emotion that goes into these things that when they're finally done, it's kind of like, you know, then all hell breaks loose. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think everything from the riding to how well-rounded it was edited and put together, you don't have too much of one thing in a row, to the title. The title, I think it's got the makings of everything coming together to make a video that people really, really get stoked on. No, I, I agree. And it's, and it's interesting. It's like, you know, the the way we make our products is different. Mm-hmm. You know, they're built different yeah. right in the house there. No one's doing that. The way the video was put together was, it was built different. Um, it all kind of makes sense. I mean, it all, and I don't know if that was, that's probably what Charlie's thinking with the title. I know he came up with it or the guys all came up with it. I wasn't too involved in the title, but it actually makes, makes a whole lot of sense. And this is one of those projects that got done relatively quickly as far as like full length videos go. And it hasn't, 
had all of the drama and the BS of a, like a lot of other full length videos through the years. Um, and I think that's because people are out doing their own thing, sort of on their on their own with their own guys filming and you know, you know, you're a writer, you know what it's like. You're, the guys come into town for a week and you've got to get like everything that you want to get in the video done this week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the day one, you roll your ankle. Mm -hmm. You got to go, like you still got to go. You got to go to the spot, you got to get your stuff. And by the end of it, you're like, I mean, you could be, there's only one band homing in the world. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not everybody like we're not they're not all Van Homans. Yeah, man. It's it's a it's a high pressure kind of deal and it it's definitely something that people don't take lightly when they're having a video part and they they really take it serious and they want to put their 100% all into it. Yeah. No, I know. And then and if you don't or something goes sideways, I mean, you got to hear people talking about it. Yeah, I mean, when to speak on that, like Hoder in the last one, how he got hurt, and and he didn't get to have. I, I mean, I think that's how it was. The one where he crashed going over the bridge thing, mm -hmm. didn't he have a shorter ish section? At that, uh, point? that was so. That was when he clipped the bridge in Austin, and yeah, got out of it relatively easy. That could have been like that could have been way worse. Oh, he could have died. Yeah, I really could have. Um, but yeah, I messed up his knee, I think. Yeah. Shoulder. And that... I know his shoulder was bugging him. But I mean, he's got he's been around for a long time now. Um, you just can't get that section every single time. Like, it's just, like I said, there's only one Van Home, and it's like very difficult to get that section every single time. Right, exactly. Oh. And, and uh, he definitely came through with a banger of a section this time yeah which is impressive for lots of reasons i mean you got the injuries yeah i mean he's not a teenager right right uh yeah. one thing i wanted to bring up about this video holy crap we just hit a hundred people in here uh nice <laughs> uh one thing i wanted to bring up about the video is Dan's banger. We're not gonna say what it was, but Dan's banger literally had me like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting. Everyone's got their own guy or their own clip in mm -hmm. the video. Like I've heard that same thing, but about three or four different clips. Nice. From <laughs> different writers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it makes sense. I think it's really interesting. Like everybody's got something that. Oh no. Styles of writing going on in this video. Yeah. It's, it's so awesome. And I just wanted to highlight, talk about that for yeah. what it deserves because this, this whole video is fantastic. Charlie did an awesome job and it's worth the watch. It's going to be digital download. Digital download. There is going to be a DVD, but that'll probably be a few weeks out. Okay. Nice. So yeah, digital download uh, Saturday, I think the third. Um, there's going to be some shop premieres that yep. people are doing. Um, the wheel mill. Not a whole lot of them because we kind of uh, kind of sprung it on people last minute, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. But uh, 
Yeah, Dan, you know, DGAF Dan is one of those kind of under the radar writers in a way. He's been around for a really long time. Yep. And I've known about him because, you know, he's a Southern California guy, but um, he's kind of under the radar in a way. But he has, he's been popping up in SM stuff for, for a while now, and it's always really badass. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. Uh, everybody in the video is awesome. I mean, seeing REA in there going from, you know, a few years ago when I first met him out there to seeing where he's at now and like coming off of learning how to do most of what he does in his freaking like driveway yard thing that was there and just all that. Um, there's going to be a premiere at the wheel mill. If anybody who's local watching this wants to go out to see that. Is that a, is that Saturday night? Yeah. Saturday at 7 PM. Okay, cool. Yeah, that that'll be a good one. I don't. Do you know if anybody like from S and M's going out to that? I mean, I think the the Hallahans would be there. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Patozny will be there. Both of them. Uh, Doyle. Doyle. Doyle will be there probably. I mean, uh, yeah. What about Clint? What What do you think about Clint's uh, section in the video? When that tractor got out and had the thing. <laughs> Yeah, that was like one of my favorite parts in there. <laughs> I was like, well, at first it was really, really high, and I was like, no way. <laughs> and then, it, and then yeah. it went down to a little bit more reasonable, and I was like, all right, I think I know what he's gonna do. And then he doesn't do exactly what I thought, and does what he yeah. does, and it was just yeah. like, damn. Yeah. Well, what about you? Remember, remember uh, Clint's clip of the Fufnu on the van? Yes. On the top of the bull. Like, what got you more stoked, the Fufanu or Hoder hanging out of the, the driver's side window? I don't think it would have been what it was without either. <laughs> like, it has to have both to be what it was. Right. Because that's that is, how I feel oh. about it, too. I'm like, you know, either one of them on their own, I, you know, the Fufanu probably, you know, obviously is, is probably more of it. But I just feel like Hoder being in the window just pushes it over the edge well, it's just the personality of it man you get a personal connection to something like that and you're just like i don't cuss very much on theirs but I, you're just like fuck yes yeah <laughs> and i love that like kind of uh, like unusual pairing of those two dudes like even in this uh, coloradical mm -hmm. video because you know clint clint's got a tight-knit crew of dudes that he that he would normally roll with you know nutter and maddie and, and yeah you know ever and all all his guys and they're all kind of similar in a way and i'm not sure that hoder and clint wind up on a trip unless mm. we put them on a trip probably not and they're from two very very far away areas right but then what's crazy is hoder can ride the trails yeah and then they they complement each other and it ends up being like the the funniest best uh combo of dudes yeah but i you know I, i'm just not sure that would ever happen if we didn't you know say like oh hoder's coming to your house and then pretty soon he's hanging out of the van when you're he's doing the foof on on the back of the van and it's just like it's classic yeah so rad um i love, I love that shit. i like it when uh sometimes people are like maybe even a little uncomfortable at first like we've done that over the years we kind of put people together that maybe Oh, maybe, yeah. maybe it's a little uncomfortable at mm -hmm. first, but then a lot of times they wind up being like lifelong friends, you know, or just like, just create like epic moments on video. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, I mean, that's BMX. Our best friends we meet through riding could be 
totally different types of people, but we love them because we love riding with them. And then you might be totally different, but you're, you got this one thing. Yeah, no, I know. I, I like that too. And I like the fact that the S and M squad isn't, it's not a cookie cutter squad. I no. mean, you just, you got all kinds of unique individuals. And for me, that's kind of always been what, what I like about S and M is just, I like people that ride their own way, have fun. They do it on their terms and it's not, you can't just say like, Oh, that, that guy's an, you could say, yeah, that guy's an S and M rider, but it's probably because he's just like, unlike anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, man. You know, like in that way, like Behringer is just such a classic S and M rider. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. Fully agree with that. That's how I look at things with my own stuff is like, I'm going to do exactly what I want to do exactly when I want to do it, no matter what anybody says about it. Yeah. It's the way it should be. That's just the way BMX should be in general. Yeah, no, I agree. I, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, damn it. What was I going to say? Oh, can't talk about the video without talking about Chris Childs part two. His part is another hammer. Yeah, I uh, I love Chris Childs writing. I mean, as kind of you know, as an East Coast guy, uh, he really wasn't always on my radar a lot back in the day. But I remember uh, knowing about him, and then I, at that first Texas Toast, or not the first one, the second one maybe, mm-hmm. when he won the, do you remember when he won the the comp? I mean, and this was like Anderson and Reynolds, like. You know, all, a lot of big names, and, and Chris won the comp. Uh, I remember just being blown away, and he was doing it with like a combo of sort of modern moves, but also like just some old school flair, you know, like just a big wild knack knack or a, like mm-hmm. a one footed X, like a turn down X up, or just weird old school, you know. Yeah, nothings and just just shit like that. It was so to wind up to have him wind up on S and M eventually is like super cool. And yeah, I I love that part. Yeah, he's just full freestyle. I mean, in its core. Yeah. Ever. No, and he's doing a little bit. He's he can do everything. Yep, that's. I mean, how many people? There's not very many people on S and M that I would say can't do just about everything. Yeah, no, Most that's a good point. Can. I mean, I think, yeah, I think everybody's pretty well-rounded. Uh, that, and that's hard to do too, because like a lot of like a lot of the street stuff is pretty, like the the consequences, you know, when it goes wrong is can, can be pretty, um, it can be pretty bad. So I, I don't know. I feel like. As guys get older too, you know, they're riding, maybe they start flowing the park more like, you know, even Hoder, you're seeing them in the park, like flying around the park. Flying, huge transfers, bitten those yeah. hips gigantic in that Colorado video. Yeah, no, I know. And I was at those parks and they, you know how video is, video never, things never look quite as gnarly on video as they are in person. Everything looks slower on video for sure. Yeah. There's that, there's that clip, there's one clip in particular in that video where Cole Volker airs off that little bank into the swimming pool. Yeah. That in real life is just, it's a nail biter. I mean, just sitting there watching it, I was nervous just watching it happen, but on video it looks, it looks like nothing. Yeah, that was the thing about that, was that 
uh, REA was talking about how crazy that was. And then it yeah. showed the clip and I was like, well, it didn't look that bad. No, it is. Trust me. I believe it. Yeah. I, and some stuff is like that, you know, and we didn't, I don't think we did second angle. We only had one camera, you know, maybe another angle would have caught it better. Um, it's one of those things you don't always get to capture exactly the best thing to show what is happening. It's right. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Out. I mean, but so yeah, I, I don't know that, that particular clip was gnarly in person. It was like death defying, but um, video didn't really come through, but it is just one of those things, you know? Yeah. Oh, here's a really great quick answer question. Uh, who's been on S and M the longest? Oh, wow. Well, what, what constitutes being on S and M? I would That's... say at least, you know, getting help with a frame. Um, Fids. Fid oh my God. Fids. Fids is awesome. Fids yeah. is so I mean, I awesome. think Fids has been on since and, and not and riding nonstop the whole time. Since yeah. Probably 93. Yeah. I remember, uh, we were on a trip to Louisville and we stayed in uh, Leland's house and we didn't know Fids was there at the time. So we just, he what Leland wasn't there. He was away. So we just went in and you were making ourselves at home. And then Fids comes in and we were just like, what? And then we ended up watching the Vans uh, Bowl Jam on TV. And I have never seen someone go to a skate park and just captivate people the way that Fids did. He had all of the kids around him just stoked and he hadn't even been riding really yet. It was like, dude, yeah. I don't know what you're doing, but everybody loves you. I don't know if it's the accent, or, but he's just yeah. awesome. No, I know. He's yeah, he's a character. Yeah, really good dude too. And just a ripper. Yeah, I'm yeah been killing yeah that's probably that's 93 94 i mean and then after that probably behringer yeah gotta be in there like late 90s you know there's a thing there's a, a section in the snm book do you have the snm book uh-uh i gotta send you a i gotta send you a book uh i'll send that. you a book i'd appreciate uh, that there's a section in there about uh like a team breakdown and oh, this okay. would have been up until about five years ago. So, you know, it would have been like, uh, it wouldn't be including some of the guys that have gotten on the last five years, but there's a timeline of writers. Oh, that's so sick. So you can yeah, so it shows all the guys and then when they got in, when they got on, when they got off. And if I remember right, Behringer has got Behringer and Fitz have the longest, you know, bar, but you know, like, I don't know if you're familiar, like with Jason Ball, who runs the the machine shop, makes all the bikes at S and M and Fit. <laughs> He's been basically a sponsored S and M rider and has worked there with me longer than anybody, and that goes all the way back to probably ninety five, ninety four. I think he moved out from Colorado when he was eighteen, and I think that was in like, um, oh look, look what I got. Oh this look, the actual book. Right there with yeah. the timeline. So I got the book with the timeline. <laughs> we can right find here. out right and now. It looks like people that go all the way to the end, it's uh, FIDS 94 to present. And then uh, 
probably we got uh, Matt Berenger, 2000 to present. Wow. Yeah, so, so FIDS by far. By, FIDS by is but, six years more. Wow. But uh, yeah, FIDS 94 to present. And then um, Hoder, 2010. Um, Hucker, 2012. Reynolds, 12. Maddie, Aquazap, Nutter, 12, 12, Passero, 13, Charlie, 13. So a lot of like 2010 to 13 till present. So but yeah, looks like uh, Fids takes takes the uh, the award on that one. But um, go Fids. So Jason Ball's been a sponsored SM rider, you know, probably since 94, 95 also. He's wow. just kind of under the radar, you know, riding Sheep Hills after work and, and uh, running our shop. But. Yeah, he's kind of been working with me longer than anybody since, like I said, like almost 30 years. That's awesome. It sounded like... Un unsung hero back there uh, running that place. Yeah, it sounds like it if you're there that long. Yeah, and, you know, he's always been super tight with Fids and uh, Leland and all those guys. So, you know, whenever they'd come to town to ride Harleys or, or whatever, you know, he would always... He always hangs out with those guys. Kind of part of that, that crew. Yeah, yeah. Uh... It sounds like from that time period you listed off there, there's about to be a perfect scenario for a 10-year anniversary video from at least a few different people. Wow. I didn't even think Charlie, that. Craig, uh, 12 was uh, Hoder. Yeah, well, Hoder's at 12 years. Uh, looks like the 10-year the guys are uh, Hucker, Reynolds, and uh, yeah, Maddie and Nutter. Those are all the 10-year guys. Wow, I can't believe that's been 10 years. That is wild. And then uh, in 2023, Charlie and Craig and... Yep. You could do a whole entire full-length video based on just 10-year anniversaries. That is wild, man. Yeah, I never even... Uh, time flies, I guess. Yeah, it does. Um, somebody asked about talking about Craig Passero and... They asked if he has a section in the video. He does, and he does all of the crazy stuff that you expect. <laughs> yeah. Well, he got a lot of, I mean, he got hurt filming for this. Oh, okay. And has been hurt for a while now. But oh, I think sucks. he's uh, just healing up now. He is one of the most technical, fast-moving, like, he can do things in a period of time that shouldn't really be doable in that period of time. Yeah. Do you, how do you feel as far as like his influence on the way people ride now? It's gotta, I mean, whether it's noticed or recognized, it's gotta be there because he's been riding this way in the way people do now for a long time. Yeah. But he kind of stays out of the, he stays out of like the, you know, the, the regular spotlight because he's mm. out there working his regular job, riding, doing his thing. I feel like he, uh, you know, if he was riding and doing that kind of stuff and he lived in Southern California, I feel like he would just be an absolute household name. Oh, I would fully agree with that. It, it, it's just the reality of it because the level of the stuff he's doing was so, I mean, people are just now catching up to how, complex the things i mean obviously aside from someone like garrett reynolds like that the name that comes to mind is that johnny rakis mm -hmm. he is the only other person i can think of who can do stuff off the top of my head that is as fast as what craig's doing things 
Yeah, that's got that crazy balance. That too. And and he's just tossing stuff in that doesn't make any sense where he's doing it. Yeah. No, I know. And to even be kind of in that conversation with uh, with Garrett, you know, it, it just I, I just feel like he's kind of a he's kind of underground. Yeah, that's a good word for it. He and is. to be around as long as he has been to, to still be kind of like an underground sort of a phenomenon like that. I just I mean, I, but I think he likes it that way. Well, and it's a testament to the fact that you can I mean, where does he live? I mean, I think he's in like New York, sort of Buffalo area. Yeah. Or maybe he's in Long Island. He might be on Long Island, actually. It's a testament that you don't, you can be at a level like that and stay in BMX and really keep pushing it for a really long period of time without having to go somewhere else to where BMX is currently happening. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's funny. I can't tell you the, the name of the, the exact name of the town he's in. Yeah, I mean, we always when you see his clips, you can tell that he's not, you know, in Southern California on all now, of those I'm spots. I'm gonna say he's on Long Island, actually. <sighs> Somebody will correct us later. Yeah, where are you at, by the way? Are you in Cleveland? I'm an hour south of Cleveland. Okay. The, what's that? What's the name of the town? I'm between a city called Worcester and a little town called Apple Creek, where the trails that I ride are at. Yeah, I thought that was, you know, really funny that I had the uh, Dodge Skate Park uh, <laughs> membership card. Which It's so crazy to think about that because you go there now and it's just, you know, an open park for anybody to be able to go to. And you hear all the stories about how bad the housing yeah. areas right there by that park where i mean i heard stories about people literally getting robbed at the stoplight to leave the park yeah it was like you know back in the 90s there it was like dodge and then you know i think florida had the bro bowl i don't know yeah if you remember hearing bro bowl was kind of the same scenario i heard that too we were actually in tampa when they were redoing the bro bowl because we were looking for somewhere to ride, and I was reading about how sketchy it could be, but then saw that they were just redoing it. Yeah. No, I we would ride Columbus. We, I feel like in the 90s or 80s even, yeah, in the 80s, we were in Ohio all the time. You know, there, was, there were races in, uh, uh, there were races all over Columbus, um, Dayton. They were uh, up in, uh, Geez, all over the place in Ohio. And, and then, uh, yeah, I ended up staying there a lot in the late 80s. I had that girlfriend that lived there, and I kind of used it as a home base because it was, it was so central. To right. Going to, you know, Michigan, Indiana, Kentucky, down to Louisville, even Florida. I mean, it was like Ohio is a great place to be to get all around the, like, eastern part of the United States. Yeah, it's pretty centrally located, and that's why it kind of, like, why I like where I live too is because all of the highways around are within 40 minutes, 30 minutes. So you can get to the highway and then go to somewhere. Yeah. It's very, all the roads seem to like lead to the town where I live. And I just, I don't know. Yeah. There's always been a big Ohio, you know, like uh, crew of guys around SM. You know, back in the day, we had. Like Stevenson and McHugh, guys that were doing sales and purchasing, they were all from Toledo. Mm. Um, we just spent so much time in Ohio. They became friends with all these guys, even Levan and uh, all, you know Leland and all the guys in Kentucky. Right, so close. 
Yeah, I made a lot of. I always made a lot of friends in that area in the late '80s, and took friends, you know, for life really. And S and M always kind of had like a, a scene, like an Ohio, Kentucky kind of scene happening, you know, because of all these guys that we got to be friends with through the years. So it's it's a weird Midwestern connection with that with a what people think about as a Southern California brand. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And uh, one of my buddies growing up. He's 10 years older than me, and he, he treated me like a little brother. He would pick me up from school, take me to my house, grab my bike to go to the trails, and just stuff like that. He always, he still only rides S&M bikes, and uh, he, I remember him getting the, the LAF, then the LTF, then the whatever the progression of that was, yeah. and he's still riding his ATF today, and... Uh, one of my other buddies, Trevor, I don't know if you would have ever seen him online. He was riding a war pig until maybe it was a, no Sabbath. He was riding a Sabbath until probably four years ago. And he's only 20 something. Wow. Yeah. That's a crazy bike to be riding. Oh, it's, and he had it decked out, you know, front brakes and it's, it was cool. It's, he does some really awesome stuff. He did a huge Canadian nose pick on a, a sub wall on that bike. And it was just, when he would jump out of it, it was like a wrecking ball coming down. That bike was short, super like overbuilt. That yeah. was McKinney's bike, you know, and he rode, he was a, an odd, you know, rider in that he rode flatland invert. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, uh, they rode vert on that tiny little bike. I think it had like a maybe an eighteen-inch top tube. Well, that's uh, part of why my buddy rides it because he rides flatland vert. He'll ride vert when you can, but he rides park and he'll ride the trails. He'll do everything. It's cool. Yeah, that progression of the uh, alphabet soup, you know, the H A F A T F, all that. <laughs> it started with the uh, with the heavy as fuck. Yeah. Okay. That was the that was like our answer to standards lengthy or shorty you know when standard came out in 93 they built this like very overbuilt standing platform style bike it was like the frame was probably eight pounds mm -hmm. and so we built a similar bike because there were people that wanted that style of frame and we just called it the heaviest fuck because you picked up the frame and that's all you could say like, there was no other name that made sense other than this bike is as heavy as fuck <laughs> what about uh so, go ahead so then as things started to change you know, then people wanted a light bike. So then we made the uh, lightest fuck. Yeah. Lighter. And that became the LAF. And then that got even lighter. And that was the lighter than fuck. Yeah. And I don't know where we're at now. Now we're with the ATF. The, oh, that's the all-terrain frame. So yeah. The acronym, you know, the uh, alphabet soup has continued. But uh, that, that the whole thing started, I believe, with the heaviest fuck. That's so rad. I didn't. I was around when the LAF first came out, but yeah. I didn't know about the HAF. <laughs> so, who? What was your buddy's name again? That was kind of like your your mentor, like who brought you up. We call him Big JT. His name's Jason Thomas. He just a savage on a bike, and I didn't even recognize all the people I grew up riding with were incredible. And this guy was doing like huge supermans over that three foot Woodward box. He's doing giant bar hump airs and he can do one footed tables, literally no footed because of how far they're going and just incredible back rail foofs. And he's a, like a, a Cleveland guy. He's 
he used to live in Worcester where I live, and then now he lives in Arizona. Okay, cool. Well, man, get him out here for our next jam in the spring. Arizona's not far from here. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell him. I, I still have his original set of front brake pitchforks that have the big hex, or not hex, whatever the, might be a hex, uh, compression cap that sticks way out of the fork. Yeah. I, I have those sitting somewhere in a box. Wow. Yeah, that was, we used to spend a lot of time in Ohio. I was, we always had fun there. But Toledo is where all those guys were from. Then we had a ton of friends down in Dayton. And mm-hmm. I used to ride in Cincinnati a lot at that. There was an indoor park we'd ride in the winter that was called Club Soda. Heard um, about it. That was super fun. There was a little indoor spine ramp thing in Dayton they called the warehouse. Um, we'd ride street downtown Dayton, Columbus at the park, and then the race every year in Columbus. Uh, just felt like I was always in Ohio in the late 80s and, and then kept going there back in the early 90s all the way up until the mid 90s. That Dodge uh, membership was 95. Wow. That's so wild to think about. The, like, know, what's wild is that I, that I have that. Like, what, out of every, like, I don't save anything. You know, and I don't <laughs> have anything, but I have a paper card. You know, it's not even laminated. It's paper. I don't know how it survived since 95, but I, but it has, and it's in my office. Wow. I mean, that's how we kind of connected for the first time ever is you brought that up to me and just crazy to think about how some of that stuff goes. Yeah. I mean, do you remember LeVan's BMX Plus cover from there? No, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, he's got full S&M uniform turned down over the hip at Dodge like after they kind of cleaned it up. Painted that yellow stripe around the edge. Oh, I'm pulled. I got it pulled up already. Jimmy Levan BMX Plus cover from Dodge. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. All right, I gotta, I gotta bring gotta this in on, here. You gotta put that on the screen. Yeah, that is so freaking cool that that is a thing. I mean, I re- they still paint the uh, the edges of the ramps like that. Oh, do they? I haven't been there in years. We were. Uh, I just edited a video from when I was there in July, but that park, when you go there and you look at it, I mean, it's kind of fall crumbling all over the place. The transitions are crazy, but there's, you can find stuff to do there. Yeah. No, I, I always liked riding in Ohio. Winter was rough though. I mean, that's not like here in Colorado where it's sunny and there's snow and you can go, you know, snowboarding or whatever. Ohio was just kind of like cold and gray and you had to go to the indoor park yeah i i think i've never been an indoor park guy but man i have i would have a lot of fun at that club soda just because you were so glad to be out of the weather and riding your bike yeah oh and part of what i love is that rays exists and rays is centrally located in the cleveland area but it just brings everyone together in the winter so that there's all these different groups of people from all around the place and even the whole country. And you just, you go to raise on a Saturday and you could, you never know who you're going to see there. And I just, I love that that exists. Is that where, uh, now it would be the wheel mill where you saw Doyle, um, teaching one of the Hallahans how yeah. to do like, turn it was out that, that was a wheel mill right it was a tail whip and it was a wheel mill. Oh, it was a tail whip was that and who was that was that lucas i can't remember which of the Hallahans it was i remember seeing that yeah i think it was lucas 
But yeah, that that was wheel mill though, right? Yeah, and the wheel mill's another place. The same kind of deal of just everybody comes together in the winter from all those little, you know, random skate parks around Pittsburgh. And yeah. just, it's just a, I don't know, it's something that I feel like you might not get necessarily in the Southern California where nobody has to go to that one spot to even be able to ride. I like that vibe. I always like that about the Midwest, um, whether it's, you know, in anywhere around there, you're so amped to get a sunny day. Even if it's like, it could be 30, but mm-hmm. or 20, but it's sunny. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to hit the ground, but <laughs> yeah. as long as you're riding, you know, you're fired up. Southern California is weird like that. I've, you know, I've been in Southern California the majority of my life and, uh, man, it's just one 80 degree day after another. Yeah. You get, All, I mean, I'm not complaining about that, but I think people get spoiled. Yeah, I mean, well, you get a, you lose a sense of, like, how good that really is when that's just all you know, and you don't have to struggle through walking from your house to the car and having it hurt to breathe. Yeah. Oh, I know, man. Uh, that that reminded me though, in the first Unclick podcast, you talked about the kind of the. I don't want to say attitude, but the way people in BMX act like the, you're talking about the pot smoking couch. Have oh you, yeah. The, the into couch. Have you noticed any change to that at all since then? Or I mean, people laugh, you know, people that come from that world kind of laugh about it. Um, but it's, it's like, uh, scary how real that is oh it's definitely real that's why i wondered if like since you brought attention to it if maybe it's gotten better or changed at all i mean it depends on where you are in your life you know it's like uh guys come from wherever and they wind up in long beach and they end up on that couch and then they're just in the fog man it's it's never going to be any different it's always going to be like that for people for a couple years but they always they they eventually they, they get out of it, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I'm just, I'm just like commenting on something that's been happening for, you know, a long, long time. Oh yeah. It's, it's and always just in BMX. Happen. It's just too, it's almost like comical how it happens and it happens in the same town and it happens like, <laughs> it's just funny, man. Like, uh, but I haven't, I mean, I've had people tell me like, like that's so spot on, but you know, it also gets a lot of people angry with me mm-hmm. that yeah. first podcast was you know yeah that i did with our it definitely it got some people upset you know yeah it ruffled some feathers i'm sure but i felt like it was so much just truth telling that people needed to hear yeah i mean i'm just one dude you know one knucklehead just blabbing about a bunch of dumb shit that i've seen in the last 35 years of bmx i mean People don't need to take what I'm saying seriously. I mean, you know, like I said, there's, you got these fact checkers. Hey, I'm not denying the fact that my memory may not be perfect. <laughs> I've been riding BMX since, you know, 1978 or something. Right. You know? I've been knocked out. I can't remember how many times I've been knocked out, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. The, like the joke goes. But uh, my memory might be weird, but the shit happened. Like, Maybe it's I'm two years off, I'm three years off, or maybe one little name is is wrong or something like some detail might be a little bit off, but the but the general like idea of the thing mm-hmm. definitely happened. 
Right. You know? So I'm not just fully making this shit up. Like it, it, this stuff happened to me. I saw it with my own two eyes. Maybe it happened in 98. Didn't happen in 94. Right. I mean, who cares? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like saying my thing. I think people just need something to talk about. And at any given period of time, you might be that something. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. The more I think about this kind of stuff, it's like, uh, it's pretty simple, man. Like we love riding bikes and, um, there are all these little things that happen to people on their journey through bike riding. And sometimes you wind up in the house, you get stuck in the couch, whatever, you know, that that's going to happen. I've been in the couch too. Um, you gotta get out, you gotta get off the couch. You get, you know, you get spoiled every day's 80 degrees. Um, I think it's good to get out and about and travel, you know, go to different places, meet different people, ride with different crews of dudes, mm-hmm. um, and just get a, like a wider, like, like a bigger version of like what's really going on out there, you know? And, um, yeah, that's what I, that, that's what I like to do, you know, through the years traveling to all these races and dirt comps and, you know, go to these comps like street comps or, or park comps to watch or sometimes ride or whatever but you meet all these different crews of dudes and you just stay a little more grounded i think yeah man uh that's that fully has happened i mean when just traveling in general for people who don't ride teaches you about different cultures and shows you what's really going on in other places in the world that you don't see through us or experience as much through a screen yeah no i know and it's just weirder than ever nowadays you know you've got the just the, like the DMs and just all the, the, the instant stuff that's happening. And, you know, you don't really form the relationships with people that you used to when you were like, you know, on their couch for a week or you're on a road trip for a few days. And right. so sometimes, you know, like, you know, in the real world, when you're out with interacting with other people, two people come at each other and maybe they don't get along at first, but then you kind of find some common ground and then you understand each other more and like they're strong personalities, but they end up being friends. But in today's world, those two strong personalities clash on social media and then it's just over. Right. Yeah. There's just no, it's just over when you're face to face with somebody, you're forced to like figure it out. You're either going to fight, walk away or you're going to figure it out and well yeah and then sometimes you fight and then those end up being some of your best friends we i mean everybody who's from the age of people where fighting is how you solve things like has those friends that they fought yeah beat the crap out of each other and now they're best friends I've been in a lot of those fights, man yeah that's BMX house fights you know there's 10 guys in the house and Two of you end up fighting over $20 and I remember smashing a dude over the head with a crank arm and oh my blood God. everywhere. And by the time it was over, everybody in the house had left. They were so uncomfortable that they, everyone left. I don't know if they were in the yard or out back <laughs> on the ramp or whatever, but I ended up being, I ended up sitting on the couch with the dude that I was just fighting over $20 who ended up hitting over the head with the crank arm and had blood everywhere, punched me in the face with the ring split my face open we sat on the couch guess what the, guess what he did what's that apologize twenty dollars 
you get some perspective at that point, I think. Yeah, but we just fought for 10 minutes. Yep. And there was blood everywhere. Yeah. That's what I had to do to get my $20. And he just gave it to me. He said, you know, here's your $20. Yeah, man. That's, I mean, that's just the real world. Well, it used to be the real world. I, you know what? You're right. You're definitely right. I have now, now look at, look at the world we live in now, you know, like you ended up having, and you know, I, I commend you for having Doyle on real quick after all that baloney with the uh, Ricky and the, and the, the, whatever the podcast Ricky did. That was sweet that you had him on right away. Like, I, I think that's cool that you were like, it was really timely. I don't know if you were able to get Doyle on because of that, or if you were going to have him on anyway. I, I wasn't, but, and the whole Ricky thing is what made me reach out to him in the first place because I figured Doyle's the kind of person that like, yeah, he likes to, you know, have fun online sometimes, but he also is a very professional person in right. that. And there, there were some real world implications that could have came from what happened and people who are thinking they had total misconceptions about what the reality of that situation was. And I'm like, well, maybe if we get on my thing and just clear the air of what reality actually is. But, I mean, how dumb was all that? I mean, really it was all so Ricky, dumb. All Ricky needed to say was like, like oh, I don't know what I like, There's so many guys that he could have put that name. He could have put S&M and this name or S&M and fit and this name. And it would have totally made sense. And it has nothing to do with the guy being old. It just has to do with like people that probably shouldn't be sponsored. Mm -hmm. uh, and then people that could be maybe if that money were freed up, but he just got the name mixed up. He got it all a little mixed up. And then everybody gets their panties in a giant bunch over it. Yeah, and now really. like the guy's lost his job, which I think is for other things too. But the whole thing is so dumb. It's incredible. Like he just said the wrong name. Yeah, literally lives are changing because of that one not because of it, whatever. There was probably right. other things too, but like you're you're absolutely right and it's just it's crazy and it's it is a very unfortunate dumb. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I would hate to be like a kid right now because when I was a kid, I said so much dumb shit. Well, yeah. I still but I mean even more when I was a kid. And a lot of times it's just for the like the comedy factor. You're on like a little rant and it's funny and you've got people laughing. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. what you say. As long as people are laughing, you're like, "Oh, this is this is sweet. Everyone's having a good time." But nowadays, that's all being recorded. Yeah. And then it pops back up later. And then people are like, oh, my God, what did you know, imagine if those cameras would have been rolling like when I was a kid, it would have just like the stuff that was happening was hilarious. But it was so outlandish by today's standards that everybody would just be in trouble all the time. Yeah. And so I haven't talked fully about this online because like Ricky and I used to do chats a lot and we used to like he used to have some of those crazy opinions and I would walk him back like, dude, come on, let's come back a little bit. Like can't go too far with it. And then we'd like, you know, we'd reason back and forth with each other and come to that middle ground of whatever. And, uh, and I think when like, because he came with that with an approach of like, I am talking about this stuff and I want to help BMX and all this. And then you say something with such big shock value people are going to react to it. And that's like, and it, it kind of like seeing all of that happen, 
made me feel like I've been doing a good job in what I do because I try to change things and I try to talk about things that might be taboo or might not get talked about that should, but I try to do it in such a thoughtful way that you can't even have a grounds to stand on to be like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, well, to me, when Chris Riesenberger is like coming to bat for you and is the voice of reason, you know, you're doing some pretty wild stuff because Reese is like a nutcase. I don't know. I love the guy. Well, it's like Ricky's partner with 15. Right. I knew that. I just don't know anything about him. Oh, he's a nut. Okay. Like, but in a good way, like he's just a psychopath, but in a good way, you know, he was always like Zach's right hand man at kink forever. Yeah. Um, until I think Zach, I don't know, Zach's pretty straight laced and, and Reese is pretty out there. So they probably just, you know, had some kind of a blow up. But anyway, Reese is a nut and I love him. Mm-hmm. But the last time I was in New York, I hung out with Ricky too and Reese. I think we all went to a strip club together <laughs> and we had a great time. And Ricky's just like, you know, he's just talking a lot and he just says dumb shit sometimes. But uh, I don't know, like we live in a pretty sensitive society where people get their panties in a wad real easy and then they just lose it you know and then they try to cancel you over this one thing that you i mean can you imagine like trying to come up right now as a young kid and just getting like the hate you're no matter what you do you're yeah. gonna get hated on by somebody. Like you can't make everyone happy at the same time. And if you try, your life's just gonna be terrible. Right, man. I I feel very grateful for the fact that I started making YouTube videos at a young, young age. And I started this is my beginning YouTube life. <laughs> it's embarrassing to even talk about. And no one will ever find these videos because they're all private and happened a long time ago. <clears throat> I used to they'll, do they'll cov- find it doesn't exist uh covers like screamo covers of mid-2000s music i used to make those on youtube when i was 14 and and it was nothing but hate in the comments (laughs) and so i got my i mean you know how it can be with hate and you get involved and you start going back and forth with people i got that out of my system at a young age so that now when you see things it's like, oh, I'm just going to let that go rather than go through the problem of back and forth, wasting my time, and then nothing happens. It gets solved anyways. Yeah. I Listen, man, it's out there. You know, people love to hate. And yep. what are you going to do? You know, you, if you do one thing to hate on it, you do another thing to hate on it. That People just want what they want, and if they don't get what they want, it's kind of like they're just like – they're like, you know, I have two little girls and I used to, now I have two eight-year-old girls. I used to tell BMXers, they were like acting like little girls. Now I have little girls. And honestly, I feel like telling them they're acting like BMXers. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, they want what they want and they, they don't get it. Everything's not, you know, it perfectly in line with what they want or whatever. And they're, they're just going to hate on it. And you know, yeah. you ride different than them. They're going to hate on it. You wear the wrong clothes. They're going to hate on it. The funny thing is they hate on it. And then eventually they're, then they're going to like it. And then, yep. you know, they're just all over the place. You cannot give a crap about what people are. I mean, you have to be cognizant of like just hurting people's feelings, you know, for no good reason, but uh, a little bit. That's, that's old 
Chris talking, but uh, you just can't care what these people are, are saying about you because you got to do what you're doing and you got to have fun. And if you're going to let them hate on you, if you're going to let that get under your skin, you're doomed. Like, and this mm-hmm. is not business for you. That BMX is not the scene for you. Right. Yeah. You might as well just ride in private, never share anything, never say <laughs> anything, never do anything. I've got, you've got so many people afraid to show their personality nowadays because if they just make one little teeny mess up and they look goofy or say one little thing wrong, everybody's going to just have a shit fit about it. Yep. And everyone's so afraid to do anything or say anything that everyone's just kind of hiding and you're like, man, there's like no personalities, you know? That's why a hoder comes out and yeah, yeah, he's having a good time and he's not caring what people are going to say and he's six six and he's going to punch you in the face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and absolutely, he, man. No, what are you going to do? Are you going to talk shit about Hoder? No. Well, how no, many right mind's going to talk shit about Hoder? And how many people have you encountered or seen that have talked crap on the internet actually did that and followed up with it and talked crap in real life? Yeah, I don't I don't not I mean, very I many. Get, I get a lot of shit from a lot of people online and I see those people out and about sometimes. They never tell me they never say anything to me to my face. Yeah, man. That's the reality of it. Uh I used to get catch a lot of real hate. And I had like real hate, not just, you know, oh, you got stupid hair and handlebars. Like, no. <laughs> not, Panera, not Panera bread skunk hate. Yeah, not like just poking, having fun. Like, there was, hey, real... I would make fun of those handlebars, but I think we made them. You did make them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I can't make, but your hair, I mean, your hair's all you. I mean, look at me. I can't make fun of anyone's hair. Hey, so, so my thing is, uh, it's a it's everybody's got to have their gimmick so i might as well have my gimmick be who i am <laughs> is the swoop the gimmick it's just emo hair from mid 2000s that i never got rid of because i so like when it you make the logo the more bmx logo is it going to be like an emoji of your face and is the hair going to go i have a m- emoji uh i speaking of this and i'm sure i don't know if there's any people who are like youtube members in here anymore but i have an emoji that has my hair on it, a bandana, and the nowhere bars underneath of it. Dude, you gotta run that. Well, I you mean, embrace it. You. Yeah, you embrace it, and that's who I am. But uh, one thing I want to say, and I, I think I saw Melissa walking through the background a couple times. I wanted to commend her for being on YouTube, on the YouTube thing, early. Like how uh, you talked in the first Unclick podcast about how Fit was trying to do the YouTube thing before anybody like right. really was doing it because I've said this too for years that BMX missed an opportunity with YouTube in getting paid by the gigantic corporation that is Google for making BMX videos regardless yeah. of what they might be just because they hated on a couple people that did it first. Hey, it's it's the uh, the rev share YouTube deal in the early days of uh, or the and with fit when we did the making of stay fit the 50 episodes or whatever it was uh-huh. um, we were getting paid pretty good on that um, back then we don't get paid anything now uh, but we were getting paid pretty good on that that was exactly like the integrated head tube when we first did the integrated head tube yeah you know everyone hated on it it was lame it was the dumbest thing ever we were idiots blah 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 now everyone's doing it yep that's that's exactly it. and that's what I've said forever too and when you said that in the 
the first podcast that you did with them, I like I could have I was driving, so I couldn't freak out and clap and everything. But I could have just been like, they got it. They freaking got it. And hearing now them, look at, you know, like even the real bonus, it's like, <clears throat> dude, you're making a lot of money on this. And and that's probably somebody said, I don't remember who it was, but somebody called out that that's like why you're seeing uh, so many people sharing crazy videos of their friends now. Yeah. <laughs> because it gets views. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it. I don't know if it's – I have a feeling it's like Instagram trying to keep people off TikTok would be my – That's um, what it is, yeah. That's sort of what I would say about it. But, uh, I mean, you got riders making, you know, a couple from a couple hundred bucks a month to a couple thousand dollars a month right now. And I there's no way that's going to last. Like, there, eventually that's going to change – and it'll get taken away. But for the in the meantime, if you're out making videos anyway, I mean, and they and you get invited to to be a a, a real bonus person, I mean, why not? Right. That's the whole thing. And and that's the way I looked at YouTube from a very early point. It was like, dude, this is literally like I don't think I'm ever gonna be able to sustain myself from BMX as a rider. So like, why not try and build this thing that's getting paid from Google? Like you're not you're not relying on Joe Schmo buying an S and M frame to pay to pay a salary. It's it's you're relying on the work you put in to pay, yeah. get paid from Google. And I was like, why wouldn't? And you could do whatever you want. It's your tube, your YouTube. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you never know. I mean, look at Hucker doing that bar ride around. That uh, is crazy. Park. Charlie showed me that. <laughs> see the views on that yes charlie showed me and i was like are you freaking serious yeah so you never know you yeah. never know what it's gonna be and you know full circle with like the sponsorship stuff if you're just out doing it all having fun with your friends you're getting a little video of it you're throwing it on real you're getting this you know bonus every month from that your sponsors are happy because you're you know you're out promoting stuff you're promoting you know riding and whatever brands or you know products and companies that you work with i mean it just all works together yep. like, but again it's you have to be able to do stuff because it makes sense for you and you can't really care if certain people think it's lame yep that's that's the, the thing people are always going to think stuff is lame you know, no matter what, it's going to be people that think stuff is lame and they might be people that are secretly wishing that they were doing it, but they are like too caught up with themselves to like get themselves, put themselves out there yeah. in a way that might be like made fun of. That's why I felt bad for Colin Verniak after hearing the, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I saw the post where they were saying how when he was doing the YouTube thing, he had like big name BMX riders and people who are his really close friends dogging on him for what he was doing. I'm like, those aren't your friends, man. If they're like throwing real hate at you for what you're doing to sustain yourself and something that you enjoy, it's yeah. like that that's not a friend because a friend no. supports you no matter what you want to do. No, you've got a lot of, there's a lot of uh, jealousy. There's a lot of envy. There, there's a lot of uh, real things going on with people when they're coming down on you. I mean, why are they so motivated to hate on what you're doing? You know, the other day I watched this uh, little, little documentary on Pastrana and people were talking about, you know, they were talking about how the other freestyle motocross riders hated him for so long because they thought he was a big, you know, dork. Um, but then after a while, you just can't. 
You know, like he does the 360, he does the double flip. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, now he's in the race car, and now he's jumping the the heart, the triumph, or what? You just can't hate on the dude forever, and right. you never let it bother him. But they were hating on him so bad, and now all those guys, like so many of those guys that were hating on him, are just like, they're just gone. I don't know what they're doing. They're and drinking he's still beer. Doing what he's still doing, what he loves doing. Yep, they're just those you know, guys. He's on the Nitro games, and he's like, he's still doing what he loves doing, but he took so much hate for for so long. Tony Hawk, same thing. The guy got hated on forever, you know. One, oh, yeah. some other pro spit in his face one time. It's crazy, and those people that are doing the hating are just sitting at home drinking beer, watching it unfold in front of them on TV now. And the, and Tony Hawk and Travis Pastrana are still doing it. They are the biggest names. Yeah, it's it's so sick. But you can't, you just cannot listen to these people. Like they're gonna hate. Everyone hates on things that they just can't do or secretly want to do or don't understand. Don't understand. Yeah. Listen, man. I've 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 gotten it over the years too, and uh, I I say fully. You should fully embrace the swoop and the crazy bar. And you guys need <laughs> any more of those bars, by the way? Well, Carl's actually uh, Sam, his rider, who's a welder yeah. by trade, is yeah. like they're making them in Nebraska oh. now. A hundred percent made in Nebraska. Oh, all right. It's a cool, cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, someone, someone I know was making fun of them the other day, and uh, and I said, "Hey, take it easy, man. We made those. <laughs> They're good. You know, their handlebars. It, 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 it never ends, man. When bars were like, when you got your fit team complete, your bars were like seven and a half." Yep. Like 26. I cut them. I have them. They're they're still somewhere yeah. around. And they're, what are they? they're like 7 by 26. And I cut them to 21 and a half. I measured them. They're 21 and a half inches wide. <laughs> and there were guys in the Northwest back then, you know, so like early 2000s. There were guys in the Northwest uh, that were running slam bars, like which was 8 by 28, just regular S&M slam bars. Yeah. And even our dudes were clowning them. Wow, man. They were clowning them. Wow, my buddy. Those were so big, <sighs> they were clowning them. Our own team riders and other people involved in the company, S&M and Fit, Fit more so, were <sighs> clowning the dudes with the slam bars because they were so big. That's so crazy. And then a few years later, eight by 28 is small. Right, very small. My buddy Sponge, uh, I don't know if you'd know who that is or not, best rider in the universe not exaggerating but he, he is still riding the slam bars with the seven eights crossbar on them yeah uh, the little guy the one yeah oh no the big the big guy that's the big crossbar yeah like real real big yeah it might even been one inch i don't know but you guys only made them for like oh yeah, short... yeah no, those were called uh those were like grand slams or something slam bar specials yeah, yeah. Because exactly. it had like he, a one inch. It had a one inch. It was more like solid solid bikes had a bar like that too. Yeah. Uh he had those bars that he bought in ninety nine from a bike shop here near us. And uh they were all rusty and they, he was complaining about them being too short because he wanted a brake lever. So I found a brand new set of them and bought them for him like five years ago and he's been oh, riding sweet. them ever since. And he'll never not ride those bars. I've I've never gave, I've never given two shits about stuff like this. Like handlebars, 
who gives a shit? Yeah. Like, your bars are little. Your bars are big. I don't care. Yeah. You got like, grips on them. You know, if you're lucky, they have grips on them. If not, like you got napkins on there, some duct tape. I don't know. As long as you're riding your bike, like who cares if they're big? Like, I've never understood how people have time to care about how big or small your handlebars are. That's yeah. just crazy to me. Well, it just shows that how good of lives people live in like America and wherever people are like really doing that kind of hating because that means they have time to focus on other people and they aren't worrying about like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be talking shit on the internet while I need to worry about my next rent payment and where I'm going to get food from. Like, yeah, they got a good life. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And in the grand scheme of things, man, like handlebars that there's been some crazy handlebars over the years. Yeah. The power bends. The power, we made the power bend. Those are crazy. The power bend was actually like a real bitch to make because putting that little thing on the end like required wasting like five inches of material on the end. You had to cut it oh, off. Oh, yeah. Those were a bitch to make, but you know, the whole idea was like it put your elbows out. Oh, people, I see what you're saying. Put your elbows out. Yeah. And then you can like bang into dudes. Yeah. <laughs> but whatever. Like, yeah. hey, for a while people were, the racers were loving that. Well, there was a period of time there where I was riding with Hamilton a lot, and uh, he would only ride those. <laughs> that makes sense. It just, but I it could see like, him riding that like on one side. Yeah, I don't know. You know, like uh, I could see Steven with like the power bend on one side, and not on the other side. And it would it would help something that he's doing, and right. he would just do something completely insane because of it. You know what though, man? I love that guy. Like, talk about someone that doesn't give a shit about what people think about what he's doing. Seriously. And and if you look at what people are doing nowadays, and if you look at what he's been doing on his bike for a long, long time, it's kind of all come back. Like he's kind of like very current. Yeah. With his riding is like on point with like what is happening. Yeah, there's a lot of like that the nose manual up, nose manual down stuff. People. If, that's, if someone does that today, it's crazy. Right. No, I, I always liked what he was doing. He's he's just always done his own thing, you know, and you hear those stories about him, like going on trips without a bike. Like he brings a skateboard, but he doesn't bring a bike and he's on a bike trip. You know, you hear these crazy stories. I always wonder, like, could this even be real? Mm -hmm. Like, is he that? Like, is he that wild? I, so here's the thing. Everybody says that and everybody talks about that stuff. But in my experience with him, I mean, I literally was riding with him every other day for like three years when I was in school in Columbus. I was at his apartment. We were hanging out after riding, whatever. And I did not have a single weird moment at all. Not a single, not even one. I literally had steak and lobster dinner at his parents' house in Ohio with them. Like, so is this like a, uh, is this like a persona that he built himself or is I, it just something that has like gotten turned into like folklore or what's happened here? I have absolutely no idea because I can only speak on my experience with him and I never had weird moments. We always rode and, and he was, he literally changed the way I look at riding to where we'd go to spots and, and we'd be at a spot and he would just like, you'd see the conventional idea and then he would think of something totally different or find a board or do something. Right. And, and that morphed the way I think about riding and look at things. And, 
and he just i don't know he's very influential on me that's what i mean yeah he's got like uh he's got a different take on it and it was a and and this was a long time ago yeah so yeah i totally agree we even sponsored him briefly with snm over the years oh i saw it when he had the intricate frame yeah we gave him the frame and i don't know i that's one of those deals where i like don't even know what happened i just know i sent him a box with a bike and a bunch of stuff and i have no idea what even happened he that was about the time period it was right after we started really riding together because i remember him riding that bike and that might have been towards the end of when i moved away from columbus but yeah i don't know he's an enigma and an absolutely incredible rider no i agree good skateboarder too yeah he's always skating we'd go to spots and he would he would have stuff he wanted to do and that was the that was the best part of living in Columbus. I went to Columbus for college and the best part of it was riding with Hamilton all the time. Wow. That's wild. Well, shit, man. I like the, uh, I like that the whole idea that, uh, you can do your thing and, uh, get hated on and not, uh, not worry about it. That takes a lot of, uh, I mean, that takes balls nowadays. You know, a lot of kids are sort of like, you know, I know we're not kids, obviously, but uh, there's a lot of kids out there, maybe even listening, that are sort of like deathly afraid of being clowned, especially online where, you know, everybody just pipes up and starts, mm-hmm. yeah, I almost feel bad about the Ricky Montana thing. That's kind of where I was going with that. But, um, it's just unfortunate. Like, it, it just doesn't need to be that intense, you know? Yeah, and people just need something to hate on and that's kind of the way I viewed things and I don't know I, I I do what I do because I just love BMX with every fiber of my being and I want my yeah. entire life to revolve around BMX and it does like I literally I have a part-time job that is scheduled around me having time to ride and do my videos and be able to go anywhere I want to whenever I need to and and like there's hate there for what I enjoy doing sometimes, but it's not, I think I've done it for so long that people are just like, Oh, that's just who he is. And, and that's, I mean, it sucks that you have to go through the hate to get there. But I think we live in a society now where people preach acceptance so much. And in BMX, we have so many people who are just being authentically themselves that it's easier and hard at the same time. Yeah, I, I'll tell you this: if Ricky worked for me, like if he worked for you know S and M and Fit, not for Merit, and he said that one thing, but the majority of the podcast that he did was like pretty on the money. I mean, everything I heard made sense. I mean, I think he's kind of going down the BMX as a job thing, maybe a little too heavily, but everything he said basically made sense. Yeah. Um, he says that one crazy thing. If he worked for me and he did it, otherwise did a good job at whatever it was that he was employed to do with us, I would have blown it off. I wouldn't have cared. I would have even like supported him publicly. I would have said, yeah, he said something dumb. Like I've said dumb stuff and I know everybody else says dumb stuff too. You know, what would be worse than never saying something dumb would be like never saying anything. And I mean, how many, dudes you see out there that rip on a bike and you're like i don't even really know what that guy thinks about anything you've never heard him talk he never says anything doesn't appear to have an opinion on anything just doesn't want to like you know it's this whole stay in your lane 
don't, you know, ruffle any feathers, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. That That's fine, I guess. But I also think it's okay to express yourself a little bit. But if I, if he worked for me, I would have let it go. And, um, I would have just said, dude, take it easy. Like, don't say crazy stuff. Think about it a little more or maybe edit it out. Yeah. Like Doyle said, like if he had stuff in his old podcast and he wasn't feeling good about it, didn't kind of go, didn't say what he really thought it was supposed to be saying or whatever. He just edited it out. You can edit it out if you want, you know, I, but I don't think that was the case. And I, to be honest, I feel like it was almost a little, I don't think it was the right thing to do to let him go from his job and make it look like that was the reason why, you know, I think uh, if there were other issues, then they should have let him go from his job prior to that, or maybe give it like a month to sort of cool down and then let him go. But that's not why the dude lost his job. There's no way. Yeah. And this is where I think transparency and BMX can kind of be a good thing in that, like if you're going to fire him, and you're going to do it in a time like that, like maybe it's not a great, uh, great thing to make a statement about it, but maybe, maybe it's necessary because you say you like, cause now people just think that he lost his job because of one thing he said online. And that's that, my point. Like, I think they did that strategically. And I think that was like the wrong thing to do. Yeah. And, well, and maybe they wouldn't make a statement if that was the case, but like the whole julian ortega grip thing is a great example of this whole transparency of like i can't you know i was thinking like oh man we're gonna like wrap this up you know here pretty sorry sorry you gotta bring that i'm sorry that's outlandish man well god i mean we don't have to talk about it well i'll just say this about it like if you're really like a pro okay a pro rider i'm not talking about like a dude that just loves to ride and is stoked to get a little flow or get put on a trip or get a little bonus money here and there. But if you're like really a pro and you don't get on Odyssey, you know, pro, unless you're really a pro, in my opinion, I feel like they're very kind of strict about that. Like uh-huh. they're pretty good at choosing their dudes um, or Sunday, even, you know, any, any brand out of that building um, with Nuno and those guys. But uh, if you're going to be a pro, you can't say crazy stuff like this because now the next person thinks you're going to say crazy stuff about him. You know, like I remember hearing a, a, a really good story about Hucker when Hucker was on DC and DC kind of unceremoniously cut the whole BMX program yeah. like overnight. And a lot of them, a lot of the guys already had contracts like written up, mm-hmm. ready to go in and sign them like any day, like good deals. And they're going to go in and sign them any day. And then out of nowhere, boom, they just dropped the whole program. Yeah. So a lot of the guys kind of lost their shit publicly and talked a bunch of poo about it. Um, but Hucker didn't. Mm-hmm. In fact, he thanked them. Just like, hey, it's, for whatever reason, they had to let us go. That's unfortunate kind of thing. But I had a great time and I loved it. And I'm really appreciative, blah, blah, blah. And then not long after that, Hucker got on bands. Yeah. And no one else did. And I just feel like that's a pro. Yeah, it's it's a tough one whenever there's a situation of like, I, I don't, I'm not in Julian's head, but it seemed like it really felt like they kind of took his grip idea and took his name off of it. And like, 
if if I were in that situation, I would feel the need to say at least something. Oh, you're coming at this from a totally different angle than I thought you were. I was coming at it from the he needs to not talk so much poo about people that helped him out for a while. But so you believe the grip thing? I don't know because I'm not I'm not in that world. But what what it felt like? I mean, it, it Cloud like basically admitted that they messed Took up. The grip. They they basically admitted that they messed up in the grip situation and they tried to make it right. So like. I don't know where the truth is somewhere in between both of what they said, but that's a tough one, man. I, did, I didn't put too, I didn't pay too much attention to the grip uh, angle, but, but what's the grip at the end of the day? Is it a bunch of fins? No, it, it's, it's like a, a octagon pattern that gets bigger or something. I, I like an expanding octagon that turns into a bunch of fins. No, because there's a whole bunch of them. I, I, you'd have to see it. It's hard I'll to check just it explain. Out. But the way I looked at it in, in regards to transparency and things is that like if they really did rip off his idea and take his name off of it and whatever, like I feel like that's the kind of thing that people should talk about. Like get him a chunk of change for well, that. Well, that was the thing. They offered him royalties to try and make it right. And I guess, I don't know. It's, it well, was... royalties don't make any sense. Like if he's not going to be a representative of the brand, you know, and he, if he's not going to be a, cause he's a Sunday guy, right? Well, he was on Eclat Pro and then got dropped. But and... Sunday was his bike sponsor. Yeah. So maybe he finds a home on Odyssey and he's a, you know, like a full, like a, yeah, you know, like a, a Rayford kind of a thing, like full a full factory. Sunday Odyssey Bear Corp dude, yep. you know. Um, yep. And then he goes to the E Claw and says, "Listen, man, that's my grip. Come on, like don't bullshit me. That's my grip. Just give me five grand." Yeah, it's it's such a tricky situation, and that would make sense. But we, like, neither of us really know what was said, so you can't like comment too like, you know, this I is just, it shouldn't. But all I'm saying is it shouldn't get aired out like that. Yeah, it's 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 so tough because it is tough. Maybe I I I gotta apologize for like taking the, a different stand on that because I wasn't taking coming at it from that angle. But yeah, that that should have got worked out behind closed doors. You know, like if that was real and he came up with that grip idea and it was like gonna be his thing, but then they drop him because they can't afford the monthly or whatever it is, and they should he he should just be like, look, I'm not gonna get royalties because I'm gonna ride for someone else. And that's going to be confusing. And it's just a bunch of accounting and multiple payments. Just give me five grand or give me eight grand or whatever it is. Just give me some, give me the money now and we'll just call it. And then I won't talk a bunch of poo and everyone will be good. Right. Yeah. And that, I mean, that, that would be ideal. Right. And yeah. And it's just, it sucks that he felt had to like, feel like he had to say something publicly for anything to happen because we all know that if he just let it go, they were going to release that grip. Nothing was ever going to so change. So what has come of it? Like, is the grip now shit canned? I have no idea. I saw a shop promote, like posting pictures of it. So does I, the grip exist? Like, did the that's so that's the whole craziest part of this whole thing is that none of this came out until the grip was posted as a like this is the done thing and it's going yeah, but out. Is it, to a, shops. is it a like a three D printed? model or is it a real like craton rubber grip out of the mold it's a finished product that is available so the mold for sale made, is yeah. that an odi grip i don't know well regardless if it's odi grip or a 
you know, a, a, a Velo grip or Pro Palm grip made up overseas. It's any of these guys. It's going to be somewhere between six grand and fifteen grand for the mold, for yeah. Sling. And someone's already committed to that and paid for that. Yep. You know, so that that's a done deal if the grip got made. So if that's the case, it's going to be in uh, uh, E Claw's best interest to actually produce the grip if it's a good grip. So then they right. got to make him happy for his contribution to it and then they move forward with it but it just i don't feel like it needs i just don't feel like it needs to turn into this whole public deal because people like me who are i i guess just not paying attention to the to the details of the situation i just look at julian like he's a crazy person and every time i hear that name until we had this conversation i would think like oh god i don't want anything to do with that dude he's a loose cannon but yeah but maybe he's not. It's just I wouldn't have dug that in that far into it, you know. Right, exactly, and that's what sucks. So it's not doing anyone any favors. It makes your claw look bad. It makes him look bad. It kind of makes everybody look bad. Yeah, and from would have been better just to like get him some money, unless they feel like he's full of shit and they designed the grip. Well, that was the thing is that he made his post, and I got videos about this. If you want to get deeper into oh no it. when we're done talking <laughs> about this i'm done with this i uh, yeah but, but i i mean i i'm glad we're talking about it because he is like a you know like a, a respected writer and he's friends with a lot of people i know and uh it is interesting to hear this especially as a company guy and i've been in similar situations and i can tell you right now there's there's like three sides to these stories exactly and that's what i said in the videos that i made is like there's this guy's side this company's side and this truth is somewhere in the middle and we are never going to know that. Totally. It, you're, you're absolutely right. But, uh, anyway, is the grip coming out? Yeah, I'm pretty sure because I saw a bike shop posting pictures of like multiple sets of them in hand. Yeah. Well, then I guess it comes down to whether or not they were, <sighs> Yeah, they, they got a, that's an ugly that's an ugly situation there. It was chalked up to a they had a freelance designer and it got put into the full production stage because of discommunication. That's mm. that's what Niklas said. Well, then I think they just owe the owe the dude some money and call it a day. Yeah, that would be I think the most ideal situation. And I hope that that's what happened because Ikla deleted their their post about the whole thing that was like seven pages of text. Yeah, and I mean royalty on a if he's lucky, he's get like seventy five cents a pair. If he's lucky, like yeah. that would be really high. You know, um, I would say, yeah, they're gonna have to sell. He's gonna have to sell seven thousand pairs of grips to get to five grand as a royalty. I would say give the guy five grand. And then uh, he he says, "Hey, I got five grand for my design. I'm happy." And honestly, like a like a CAD dude drawing the grip or some guy with some ideas, maybe would have ten hours in it, be like four hundred bucks, you know? Yeah, he'd be happy with five grand. I think he'd be happy with five grand, and I think it'd be worth it to them just to make right, make the situation right to give them that money at least. But I right. don't know. That that's how I would try and handle it if it went sideways like that. So, so my whole thing to take away from that situation and not talk about that anymore was that like, I think transparency in BMX is important in that, like if people like 
say there's a totally malicious ripoff of a product that a rider worked with a company on and they purposefully put like got rid of him and put out the product without their name on it i feel like those kinds of things probably should be talked about so that riders and company owners and bike shop owners know the reality of how these this said company is acting and and because we don't i feel like there's not room for that in bmx and it it's existed yeah. forever i hear you it's just if it were that cut and dry all the time that'd be nice but it's not so what ends up happening is you get like you know three four guys in a room maybe that everyone they're they're drinking beers it's like a whole uh you know it's a whole uh just creative environment one dude's like oh we should do this we should do that and then this then this changes and that changes and then like all these different people are working on it and then eventually you come up with something and you're just stoked that you've got like a done deal basically and you get it to the solid works guy and he's working on it and then i've had this happen to me where like someone comes out of the woodwork and they say like hey three years ago i emailed you uh basically a, a drawing on a napkin of that yeah and maybe they did. Yeah. And maybe I saw it. And it was just in the back of my mind somehow. But I don't really remember Napkin Dude four years ago. Yeah. It, it's all over the map with this kind of stuff, you know? Like, And I always tell people, like, people will tell me, like, well, I got a great idea. Yeah, okay. Don't tell me about it. Right. Exactly. You got a great idea? Go and have it made. Mm-hmm. Go and do it. Because I don't want to hear about it. You know? Yep. I don't want to get involved in the, the whole tail end of this. Yep, that makes. You really total got a great sense. idea. Go get it made. But ninety nine percent of the time, it's no great idea, and it's kind of like, you know, you change the name of your show to more BMX, and then I come at you and tell you that I. <laughs> BMX. Yeah, well, I'll send you my GoDaddy receipt from a couple months ago. <laughs> all, all I'm saying is it it goes. There's three sides to these stories, man, and people yep. should get compensated for what they for their work. But the work needs to be, like, legit. Yep. Yeah. It needs to be actual work. You can't just, like, be drinking beers with some dudes and then say, we should make a sick tire, and then we make a sick tire, and then you designed a sick tire. Yep. There's more to it than that, you know? Like, you got to – everyone needs to, to work on it. It's, it's – it ain't easy. Nope. So, it's been over three hours. What's next you got – you got a. You just finished up the thirty-five year party and jam and video. Yeah. Built difference coming out Saturday. What is after that? Well, uh, I mean, we got a, a lot of stuff in the works. You know, right now, um, a lot of these like new colorways, the Hallahan stuff, and even mm -hmm. uh, even Shane, like Hallahan has a squib. squib. Have you seen that squib? That's an American-made fit you know frame 20 inch we got a, an 18 inch wheeled version too that just came out nice um, i got a few things i'm working on right now that are a little bit more top secret uh cool but yeah we've got those other hallahan colorways of the um the mod and the uh, black magic frame with forks and bars to match nice um trying to sell some seats <laughs> you're not gonna pick up riders for seats <laughs> I don't know, man. Do you know someone that's like just super rad that we got to hook up? <laughs> Did you see the the meme yet about that quote? No. You're gonna have to watch it. I'll t I'm 
to send you it. It's uh, it's that quote from the RBMX thing, and then this dude, he's like, I just woke up, and he's basically like, I ride for sixty seats, Chris. <laughs> it's, oh it's just funny. Uh, no, I don't well, know. You know, yeah. So anyway, yeah, we got some new stuff coming out for sure right now. You know, um, and there's just always there's always a lot of good stuff going on. Yeah, you know? this video stuff though is definitely the highlight lately. Yeah, it's cool that you've got. Oops, it's cool that you got multiple people, Charlie and Stu, who can really get stuff going because video is here to stay. It is the future, and it gives you a personality that I think other companies are going to start to like follow in those footsteps and move more towards the personality side of things because you need more than just really good riding to to connect somebody with a person and a product yeah well i mean it's, it's all full circle with the riders like if you've got great riders and we do on snm and fit if there's no real media out there anymore, if you don't have magazines like we used to, you don't have props, you don't, you know, hours not really doing the kind of stuff that they were doing when they, when they were ride, there's not a lot of original content being created out there. Like we're, your brands are having to create it themselves. Yep. So S&M and Fit are, is creating this content themselves, you know, and that's the only way we're going to actually be able to feature our riders. If we're going to have like a hundred dudes getting free products and we're not actually featuring them. And a lot of them aren't really like the kind of guys that want to blow themselves up on social media. They're just like soul riders that love it. Um, we're going to have to feature them. Yep. So that content creation is, is expensive right. and it doesn't really generate any money. It's like, um, you know, we're creating content and then we would have to, if we advertised like with you or anybody else, we would have to pay you guys. And then you guys, the deal is you guys then share the content that we paid to create. It's a crazy scenario right now. So it'd be nice if we could find a way to get paid for that stuff on, you know, like you said, on a, on a, like a Google, like a YouTube scenario, but we use all this unlicensed music. So we can't. Right. You'd have, uh, there's there's uh, libraries that you can subscribe to with music that allow you to monetize that have some like really good music on them. Yeah, we are we're we'll look into that, you know. And then there's also there's always like the like Vish, you know, making his own music. There's yep. that kind of a. But man, when you see Chris Childs riding to Crazy Train, oh, I get it. There's you sometimes you can't substitute the the royalty free even if it's got good singing and it's a real song it's just not the same yeah so i don't know i think that's a big part of our company nowadays is not only are we making you know frames forks bars stems and sprockets we're making a lot of content you know we have like charlie and and melissa and Stu and and evan and we have other people a lot of other dudes that are contributing now and we're kind of building our like content creation team it's just it's not monetized unfortunately but it's pretty rad i say freaking just post it on your instagram from the amount of followers i got after you posted that fake interview i was like yeah. what is happening hey, right people now people thought that was real yeah like people thought that was real people really did think that was real and we made it through this whole thing without even talking about any i made that in about i made that in like 5 minutes it was awesome and the only reason I made it is because I went back and listened to the interview because Doyle is so good, man. He's so he, good. He's so good. 
I don't know how you got on that tangent there for a while. <laughs> he was looking at you like, what are you talking about? Kind of like, I'll tell you where it came from. It came from, I was on my way into town talking with Victoria about no, Doyle. Trust me. And then no, he called me. Please, not, let's not get into it again. I totally get the story. I'm just, it's just crazy that somehow you've got Chris Doyle and you're talking about BMX. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're like thinking that Chris Doyle wants to hear about this. I get it. I'm a silly goose. It's all right. <laughs> hey, at least you're like, you know, I'm like poking fun at you, but you know I mean well. I'm not trying to oh. like feelings i just thought you had to think that was funny too dude i watched what you did and then it just i got embarrassed because i was like oh no i really said that to chris doyle <laughs> like what am i doing <laughs> yeah i don't know it was funny though no no harm intended so hopefully you just laughed at it yeah hey, well i don't know if i said this to you or not but i it made me realize with all the chaos going on in the bmx podcast arena at the time that I've been doing this as long as I have, and I've been trying to change things and talk about all this stuff that nobody talks about, and that is the first and only thing that anyone has ever posted from my stuff like that, ever. Like, I think I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah, well, let's change that, man. Let's keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a good job, and I like the, the timeliness, you know, of getting Doyle on there, and that kind of stuff's cool. It's like, I've been going to you for years. It's like, what's going on? Well, find out what the swoopy hair's doing. I go over <laughs> and I check out swoopy hair. See what swoopy hair's doing. Yeah, I'm okay And then you've got it. like that. You're like the only place I can go to get actual information on what's happening. Hey. Well, either everyone else has got to step up their game or, man, I'm going swoopy hair every time. Listen, I'm doing it for free, too. Are you really? I, I mean, I get paid from YouTube itself, but, like, I can't live off that. Yeah. I just do it because I love it, and like I said, I just want BMX to be my whole life. Yeah, well, find a way to help companies like mine advertise products that they're trying to sell and, you know, monetize it. We could talk about that. I mean, I've... Yeah, I've I mean, that's what Fudger should have done the other day. Like, come on, Ryan. You know, we're not... When we advertise with our BMX, we're not, it's not charity. Like nobody's trying to give Dig or Our or more BMX or anybody for that matter money just as charity. I mean, if we have it, yeah, we have done that over the years. But as money becomes tighter, you have to be offering like a legitimate um, <clears throat> service, you know, and it has to help move product. Right. Make worth money. And then if it does, then it makes sense. I mean, if you look in the pull BMX magazine, the print magazine, which is like the, one of the last print magazines for BMX, the USA BMX uh, print magazine, I just signed on for one year, full page every month. They do like, I think nine print issues a year, mm -hmm. nine pages for fit with the complete bikes and all these cool ass ads with like BF and nasty. Yeah. And that's because I have a ton of bikes that are good, I'm trying to expose them to a bunch of people that need good bikes yep. that might not know that we make them. That's why I'm spending money with USA BMX to put that ad in their paper. That's the way it's supposed to work. People advertise a product and then people know about it and possibly buy it. Yep. I mean, the same ads have been running for every product in the world on TV for, you know, since the inception of TV. Yep. People are paying for those because it helps their products sell. We're not advertising with all these media outlets so that they will then share our content that we already made. 
like we'll share it ourselves and then they're going to share it anyway and they have to share it or they look like they're out of touch. Yeah. Like our BMX can't be all hyper and free agent and all this other stuff. Like that can't be the only thing that they're doing. They have to show some core content too, but I don't want to pay them to show our content. I want to pay them so that they, maybe we do features on like how to work on your bike. But every time we're working on the bike and teaching kids how to work on their bike, we're simultaneously working on like our bike. Right. Like it doesn't have to be like super cheesy, but you know, there's a great product, a great advertising opportunity right there because kids can't work on their bikes. Yep. So we teach them how to work on their bikes on a little show that's sort of like advertorial. We're paying them money. They're paying to produce it. They're, they're filming it. They're editing it. You know, our guy just sits down with them, shows them how to dial in a gyro. Boom. That's an episode. Yep. Then we pay them some money. Yep. And then hopefully we sell some gyros because I have 2000 fucking gyros in stock right now. You know, that's what I'd like to be doing. Yep. There you but go. I don't want to just give them money every month so they can repost, you know, dirt rules. Yeah. Well, you're You're about to get 500 messages from YouTube people who are like, I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, and, we'll see. But anyway, yeah. man, I love what you're doing. Keep it up. I appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate the realness. I appreciate the fact that you're willing to talk to someone like me, you know, who's sort of like a middleman for the industry and like people I mean, outside I be of totally it. Totally honest with you right now. Yeah. I was hoping to get a handlebar order out of this. Oh, darn. I'm sorry to disappoint all you. Right. All <laughs> right. On to the next dude. Uh, well, all right. See you later. <laughs> no, uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks, yeah, thank Chris, you for your time. And uh, I appreciate everyone and you and we'll see you maybe later because i might be going live again with charlie later about oh. the full length go get yourself a panera bro